Hello and welcome. It's the Tetracast. It's 2021. We're all here. We're back. So I don't know if we can still stick with our seemingly weekly after taking a couple weeks off, but it's a new year and it's a new year for the Tetracast, but we've got the same cast here today for you. So I'm your host, Brian Vitale, and a lot of familiar names joining me today. We've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. We've got Josh Torres. Seemingly weekly, not actually weekly. Yeah, we, we haven't gone against our word. Uh, we've got Adam Vitale. Hello. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. I'm glad it wasn't long enough that I like forgot your names. What's his last name again? Greg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Greg. I, yes. uh, I've called George Greg in the past, mistakenly. I don't know why. <laughs> and he won't forget. Well, That's actually James, George, and Josh. So why not a Greg? Why not at this point? So, yeah, it's, it's 2021. It's the start of a new year. Uh, we, if you have come and you've listened to our five and a half hour RPG of the year podcast from late December, first of all, uh, congratulations. If you've listened to the whole thing, you, you've earned all of our kudos. Yeah. And we're sorry. <laughs> congratulations. And we're sorry. <laughs> we assure you, uh, nearly all of us felt sick after that, uh, podcast, like all, like a good chuckle was like, my fucking head hurts. A good choice, like I have a migraine. Others was like I just like passed out after the, the recording. <laughs> when we we are, you. The I was first, drunk. The first, yeah, many of us were drinking. Uh, I don't know if that came through. Probably depends on the person. But uh, we, mm-hmm. the first major section we recorded was the writing section, and that took about an hour. And unbeknown to the listeners, we were like typing in chat, like, "Oh God, this is going to take forever." Luckily, we kind of <laughs> got back on uh, on pace after that. Uh, lessons on pace. Yes, on our five and a half hour pace. You know, we're just keeping ourselves, you know, pace. That, that's actually still still better than how we used to do game of the year way back when. All right, when we started a lot of categories and a bit like a like a relatively bigger roster of people uh, on deck. Yeah, that, that like 2016, 2017. Uh, those were like seven hour to eight hour ones, I think. Almost there. We actually had, I think we did like, I think one of those years we actually did like two separate days. Like we got to stop. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're probably, you're probably right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to go over the, uh, the whole thing again. Cause obviously that's what the five and a half hour recording is for. But yes, we did give her. Maybe go down. Our, maybe just go down our winners. Uh, let me just let me just rattle off a few things. Just, I haven't planned this. So let's just see what happens. So mm-hmm. uh, our our 2020 RPG of the year was Final Fantasy VII Remake. The Ooh. other contenders in the top five were 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, Neo 2, Yakuza, Like a Dragon, and Hades. And then rounding out the top 10 was Sakuna, Rice and Ruin, Wasteland 3, Fate Tactics, Moon, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So congrats to all the winners. Obviously, if you've listened to the podcast, it wasn't easy. This is all stuff we've already kind of clarified before, but those are the those are the best of the best of 2020 in RPGs. Well, so technically, it, 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 it was like we, we weren't like really uh, like having re-releases on there as well, so that's why you didn't see like Xenoblade and Persona Five Royal and whatnot. So that it's definitely the best of the best, but it's also we there's a hard threshold there that we made for ourselves as well. And that wasn't a decision we went into the recording, like knowing like that wasn't made at the start. But what we ended up with is that we had like our, our short list and on there was Demon Souls and Persona 5 Royal and Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. And we were like, man, all three of these games are good. But if we consider all three of them, then we're crowding out 
free new games. I think we and just if- wanted to highlight like brand new stuff, even if the re-releases are legit- legitimately good games. Yeah, I think we all think, I don't want to speak in absolutes, but we all generally think very highly of all three of those games, they're all, and they're all definitely superb releases from 2020 as well. And then for uh, categories, the best re-release was Persona 5 Royal, narrowly beating out Xenoblade Chronicles. Best non-RPG was Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Best ongoing support was Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Best art was Star Renegades. Best writing and storytelling, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. And best music, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Best design and immersion, Hades. So we've kind of uh, grown the number of categories over the years, but I think this is a good... Uh, I can't really see expanding too much from where we're at now. I think that covers kind of the the various aspects of RPGs that kind of draws people to playing them and why why we enjoy talking about them and all that. We also do have um, separate articles for our most anticipated games. I won't over, I won't go over that list, but it's basically 15 games slated or hopefully crossing our fingers coming out in 2021 that we're excited for. We've also got our reader's choice poll, which covers your favorite games of 2020, which was the winner was also Final Fantasy VII Remake. First time in several years or ever that we had matching Reader's Choice winner and our site winner. Is that true, Adam? Yeah, we started in 2015 with the poll. And this is the first time our pick and the poll's number one pick matched. We finally agreed on something. Yeah. Yeah. You finally don't have a reason to be mad at us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then the last thing I do want to highlight is that after our site features like that, several of our site contributors, including I think every single person here, or um, did James put one up? Uh, I did, for, I did. Yep. You did? All right. The, here, the, then. Yeah, the last couple of years, here, let me stop bearing the lead. We all put up our top 10 lists for a year of personal lists, which is something that some of us have been doing off and on for a few years. And usually there's you know one to three of them up. But this year we got like six of them up. So really cool. They're all they're all kind of bunched together on the page. They're uh, on the front. Well, they're probably not on the front page anymore. But every single person in this cast and a few others that aren't here wrote up their top five or top ten personal list. So you can kind of see like how you know we, a lot of us have games cross appearing on multiple lists in different positions. So obviously we're not you know a monolith. We don't all agree. So that kind of allows that to kind of shine through about uh, our particular favorites. And with that out of the way, I think we've basically got 2020 in the rearview mirror. Some people might say, like, thank the Lord, thank God. <laughs> 2021, fresh start, new beginnings, hopefully ends up being a better year for various reasons. I guess let's just yeah, jump there, right there's, there's still, there's still, yeah, there's still r- r- room for improvement uh, the way <laughs> yes. this year started. But, you know, well, there's still a whole year ahead of us, hopefully. Yeah, great things to come. So there was a few uh, news topics over our break, over the holidays. But obviously, at first, we're just going to start out the way we normally start out and talk about what we've been playing over the break and over the last couple of weeks that we haven't been uh, podcasting. Before I do that, though, there is one feature that was put up on the site that I do want to highlight that uh, Alex Donaldson wrote up about why he feels there should be a Final Fantasy VIII remake. And that's maybe me being a little bit dramatic, but it's it's him just talking about his his feelings towards Final Fantasy VIII and how, in some ways, he feels like it could have benefited greatly from having the same sort of remake that obviously Final Fantasy VII did. So it's just like a little a little a thousand word opinion piece that he put up on the site uh, in early January. 
So yeah, it's, it's, it's a great read. I, I totally agree with them because FF8 is probably like top, maybe three, maybe definitely top five FFs for me, but def, I don't know if top three for me. I really, really like FF8. I really hope they someone or Square Enix revisits it in the future with kind of the same way they did in 7 Remake. It's it's such an interesting game. Yeah, I don't know like how I'd rank it just on a numbered list, but it is like, it's out there. It yeah, doesn't really follow the formula. It's its own thing. It's I'm always a big fan of experimental games like that. So yep, that's the feature on the site. Replaying Final Fantasy VIII, it's hard not to think that Squall's Adventure deserved the remake treatment more. It's a very casual title, but it kind of fits the tone of the feature. And with that stated, uh, let's talk about games we've been playing. And I have no idea who to pick first, because we've all obviously got a few names listed here in terms of many things that we've touched uh, over the last couple of days. Let me just tell me out. about the Monster Hunter. James, tell me about Monster yet. Hunter. Um, it's very good. I'm shocked with just how much, well, just how different it feels from World, even though like we're many about, of the ones. Uh, we're talking about the Monster Hunter Rise uh, demo that just came out, yeah. which very recently, like I think two days ago as of this recording. Yeah, like usually with the Monster Hunter games, you'll have like one major release that changes things up for each like generation of the series, and then you'll have games that kind of iterate on that. But it feels like Rise in many, uh, many aspects feels like just as much of a new generation for the series as Monster Hunter World was. It's actually really fascinating. It's a beautiful Switch game for one thing. Like it honestly must be the best looking Switch game out there right now. I'm not sure if everyone agrees on that, but like in motion in a handheld mode, it's just astonishing how good it looks. This is built on the on uh, RE engine, right? On the Resident yeah. Evil engine that they have that started with, I think, RE7. So, yeah. It looks Capcom really good. Capcom are technical wizards. So, yeah. Um, but the gameplay is obviously the most important part. And the name of the game this time are, like, wire bugs, which you can use to, like, slingshot yourself, like, any which way, and then also use those charges for special... Uh, Silkbound attacks, I think, is what they're called. So it's kind of like an evolution of both the Clutch Claw from Iceborne as well as the um, special attacks from Monster Hunter Generations, where you would uh, charge them up and then be able to shoot them out. But obviously, with the way that the wire bugs work, if you've actually played it, you'll know that it's a lot... you're, You're shooting them out a lot more often. You're either using them to shoot around the arena or using them for attacks at a much higher rate than you would have been using um, your special attacks in Monster Hunter Generations, it feels like. Um, yeah. So, not too much else to say. Like, the demo has two monsters you can fight. Uh, Great Azuchi, which is kind of like one of the more standard, like, raptor-type enemies that you're used to from uh, previous games, if you've played them on the 3DS and PSP. And uh, then you have uh, Mizutsune, which was originally in Monster Hunter Generations. Oh, boy, it's back. Yay! I love that. Yeah. Uh, He has gotten a glow up. Like, it's been a while since I fought one, because I've been mostly on World for the last, like, couple years. Mm -hmm. But he's much more mobile. He has quite a few new attacks. It's fascinating seeing him. Like, I'm 
Again, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure his uh, new his attack where he slides around like sideways and like shoots at you like he's uh, one of the Gatling guns from World with his water beam. That <laughs> seems new. That seems new. Yeah, that that sounds new. But um, yeah, he's way different. He's a ton of fun to fight. He was already my favorite of the. Uh, um, I actually don't remember the localized title for them, so I'll just say of the four like flagships rad with generations, he was already one of my favorite, and uh, he's uh, definitely um, gotten a few changes. Hopefully, we'll see the rest of the uh, of the of the four with uh, Rise. I'm I'm pretty sure we'll see Glavinus because he was in World, which means that they have the uh, upgraded skeleton ready and whatnot. So it seemed, and we've already seen. Um, Crap, what's the name? The, uh, the, uh, T-Rex. Anjanoff. We've already seen Anjanoff in, in, like, footage, so... I, I, I bet the Glavinus is gonna be in here, too, which just makes the question, okay, are we going to see the other two? But, uh, yeah. yeah. And also, uh, the, the... They also revealed, like, in the new, new info and now in the demo as well, that a bit of Monster Hunter stories is a little... Uh, mechanics are in rise because you can use the wire bugs to actually ride monsters like use the the silk and then kind of just mount them with they're like in a dazed mountable state yeah that's, that's dumb because i did the um i did the tutorial obviously it shows you how to mount things and then when i did the fight i couldn't figure out how to do it <laughs> it just happened naturally for me like once and i never could figure, it's like i don't know how i did this i don't know how i can do it again but i'm having a good time it's, it's weird because in some ways it feels so familiar even though i've only ever played world but then there's like, where's my slinger? Where's my clutch claw? Why can't I do helm sweater? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating just how much how well how new it feels compared to even like world. Like that's the thing I was talking about. It's like in many ways this feels like just as much of a like actual leap forward than like as world did, which is fascinating to see. It's just, I, I'm really excited. I, I'm incredibly excited for the full game. It's it's funny that you say that, though, because uh, obviously you and Brian both know a ton more about Monster Hunter than I do. Um, I like Monster Hunter World. Like, I played a fair bit of that when it released, but I was actually most impressed with Rise at how much it feels like World. Like, I haven't noticed all the newer stuff, like the mounting mm. stuff I haven't messed around with too much, and the Y bug's awesome, but, like, just considering the power of the Switch, I was there like, man, this is, like really impressive it feels like it feels like a sequel to world rather than just like a handheld iteration if that makes any sense yeah because you even have like the endemic life around you have uh the draw distance is really impressive yeah. considering like the platform like people are posting uh pictures and videos of just how good the draw distance is where if you're like at the top of that waterfall you can see mizutsune all the way down there which mm. is pretty impressive because it's like you wouldn't expect that to actually go that far, considering just the density and the detail in the um, in the environments. But I mean, I'm not too surprised because I feel like Capcom probably knew how to get more out of the 3DS than even Nintendo did. Like, just look at their output, like X Troopers, Monster Hunter, even Ace Attorney was really impressive. Like with its model character Resident models Evil, and everything. Um, Revelations. Revelations. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. so I mean, clearly, like. And and we've even seen it with like how well some of their games run on PC with um, the uh, RE engine and whatnot. It's like obviously Capcom still has like technical wizards under their uh, 
under their umbrella. And um, definitely seen more of that here. And it's like, man, just amazing what um, what really talented people can get out of the Switch. Really, like, feels like it feels like the one game I've played on the on the platform and like a solid year or so that's actually made me go, wow, this is really impressive. I can't believe this is running on a handheld. I think the moment for me that did that, where I, I kind of, I was like, oh man, I'm playing this on the Switch, and it, it sounds really minor, but when you're, like, the reaction to the environment, so like when you're running down a hill and you'll slide, like, I loved that in World, it just felt really, like, natural, and it felt like you were actually interacting with wherever you were, and then it's back in Rise, and I just, whenever I look back on older Monster Hunter games, uh, maybe I'm missing something, maybe they are in it, but older ones, to me, I've always seen it where they seem kind of flat, you don't do much, like, exploration or like upward momentum if that makes sense and then to go into rise and you're like zipping around the place you're jumping you're leaping you're doing that funny like dodge whenever you sprint and press uh b like i love that it back in world and it's here again and i was like yeah i think maybe i'll maybe i'll play a bit more of this one we'll, we'll have to find out in a few months but it's good yeah my main takeaways are first of all i love the watercolor art like in the hunter notes like the, the new art style they have. Oh, totally. For the, yeah. Oh, yeah. For the, for the different, they, it matches the UI well. It just looks, I it love looks really nice. How, I love how the monster icons and like even the endemic life and everything is using that same like style, which is really, really cool. And then when I was fighting uh, the bubble boss, first of all, I got that debuff on me and I forget what it was called. But I'm like, oh no, I'm soapy. <laughs> just, I don't know. It's just clever, creative. <laughs> <laughs> just a different, different, just a different sort of thing. Uh, and then, like, you, I, you do that wire bug kind of like if you try to, if you get knocked back, you can press like the left button and B to like jump back on your feet. And like, I did that towards a wall, and then I started wall running like away from the boss and up to a ledge where I could then heal and then wire bug back into the fight. There's just like so much more movement now, and it's just a couple of buttons. Like, they didn't really overhaul it; they just kind of added it. So. And it's a good way to get elevation to get, you know, attacks above the boss or to dodge abilities to jump over bubbles or whatever. So it just feel it feels like faster paced in some ways, just with that the simple addition of the wire bug movement. And then uh, I did I did do one match online and I saw some people having issues with hitching problems or slowdown problems. And apparently there's some suggestion that it's based on the number of friends you have in your friends list. I'm like, man, it's a good thing I don't have any friends in my friends list. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it paid off. Yeah, but uh, so I was playing this on my normal 1.0 Switch in handheld mode. Um, and like the frame rate never seemed choppy. It was consistent. I don't know if it was 30 or just below that, but it wasn't It wasn't swinging wildly. It felt smooth. I didn't have any issues with it. And this is coming from someone who's played World at 60 FPS plus. Uh, and then when I, when I played online, I didn't have like a lot of rubber banding or anything like that. It seemed really smooth, even though I do know some people have had a lot more issues than that. But of course I was fighting that Mitsuhine or whatever the bubble boss's name is. And, um, all three of my allies carted and then, and then we failed. And then I was like, oh yes, monster hunter. <laughs> Hell yeah. The classic new monster hunter experience. I I'm really excited to try it out. I haven't downloaded it yet. I've been busy, but. Uh, everything I've heard about this demo seems really exciting. I like all the all the little clips uh, of movement tricks that people have been founding, uh, finding in this demo. Um, with the my favorite button. thing is um, if you hop, if you back, 
back hop off a ledge with gun lance and just keep shelling. You can just start climbing and flying, and it's like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I've seen that one, like people making, like you could become like a beetle or beetle geese uh, from roll because you're just dropping bomb barrels from the air as you're wire bugging. <laughs> it's oh, uh, I never it's about that. crazy. Yeah, it's uh, this is this is awesome. I'm really excited for the full full release. It it looks awesome. I don't know how much time I'll put into it because I think honestly I'm just kind of burnt out from world a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like oh I just finished that. And now there's another one, but I'll probably put some time into it, but I might not like go as ham as I did for world. Now, speaking of demos, did anyone here, and I don't know if James is allowed to talk about this, uh, play the East nine demo that came out a couple, uh, a couple weeks before that. Why would I, why would I well, not just, be allowed to talk about it? I'm not just because you, the... well, no, I just mean like you've played the whole game already. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I played a little bit of it. Yeah. And any major takeaways I, it, in the demo? It was like really limited, um, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like it was basically just it was like the I believe the TGS twenty nineteen de- demo. It was like it was the, you can choose like well, one of two dungeons, and they had like a, a hard ten minute time limit in it. And you, you, all the difficulties were you know you can choose any of the difficulties and whatnot. Um, I, I didn't. I only played like one round of it because like I was like I'd rather wait for the full release instead of like getting ten minute slices. Um, I've, I read it on the PS5, and I know I've yet to run it on the PS4. And it, it wouldn't even be a good showcase if it's all just dungeon environments. And I think some of the, the, the more prominent East Nine like frame rate issues, I think, is in the open world environments, as James has mentioned. I never had issues with the frame rate in the dungeons on PS4, so you'd be right. Yeah, yeah so I think it is in the more open areas. But yeah, so I'm. Uh, it feels like you know an evolution of the East Eight battle system. Um, except except like you have like uh, movement gimmicks and tricks. Like you can uh, with, with one of the characters, you can like slingshot yourself around like specific edges, or and then the uh, another one you can wa- run up walls. But I, what threw me off was I thought that those movement gimmicks were tied to a specific character. Like you'd have to switch that character to do the gimmick. But I, I in the demo, like the just having those uh, specific characters in your party. Like they all shared their movement gimmick with each other, so you weren't bound by having to switch characters to do their movement gimmick. But it, it was it was okay. Like, yeah, I'm I'm more interested in the full release than this. Like, it's a it's a cool like vertical slice, but it's hard to really get a feel for what the actual game is. Besides, just oh, it's more East Eight uh, at the moment, but with a little bit more verticality, verticality, I say, because uh, the the new movement gimmicks allow for that and obviously this is a a a brand new cast of characters you technically at least in the demo that you're not really controlling adol i don't really know what the 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 real story is behind like why you're controlling all these other non-adol characters or why you have a party without adol so uh but i'm i'm really interested to dive into it once it um, okay so this isn't a spoiler but i did like see um what the dungeons were um, available on the demo. And I'll just say that don't take any like um, expectations from the story from these because they're just random parties. Like you're having party members in those dungeons that you wouldn't have at that point in the story anyways. Okay. Okay. I'm just kind of laughing to myself a little bit when uh, Josh asks, like, I don't know who these non-Adol people are. I'm like, there's some, <laughs> there some East fans who are asking themselves since East 7, like, who are these other people? 
Who are these that's people? That's that's Who are these not Adolf people? <laughs> <laughs> Just reminded of that one SpongeBob thing. Who are you people? Yeah, that's what Maybe. I felt like, man. <laughs> I, I felt really out of place. I was like, I understand. I, I had that. Uh, at least I knew with East Origin coming. In, I was like, okay, there's obviously uh, a prequel way back. You know, so I, obviously you won't see Adolf. But now you're just like. Besides East Origin, now I'm just like, if I'm gonna play an East game, where's where's my boy? What happened? I this feels wrong. I feel lost. But that's just coming out this month, right? So, or is it next month? It's early. I think it's next month. I think it's next month. Sometime. Yeah, early this year at some point. Let me look it up because I don't want to get it wrong. It is coming out February second. So yeah, just okay. in the next month. All right, uh, we haven't heard a ton from George other than a few Monster Hunter uh, quips. Uh, what else have you been playing over the holiday break? So I actually kind of, for a couple of weeks, I think I must have burnt myself out a little bit on games just because there's there nothing in my lineup or my backlog that I was like really itching to get at. So I mentioned before that I've been playing a bit of Immortals. And I was like, yeah, this is good, but I'm just not feeling the, the Ubisoft open world design right now. I j- just take a step back and... Uh, I put most of my time into Cyberpunk 2077 now. Uh, oh, boy, and you're playing. Just, Why is it whenever to... I talk about a game, it's like every time it's like this game should have been great, but uh, so I'm playing, on playing the PS4 yeah. version on PS5. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the, the redacted version. <laughs> I'm. I've I've had 12 crashes in about oh. 30 hours. Yeah, I've I've been really unlucky. I've actually, I haven't tweeted this out because I've been saving this nugget of gold for the for the podcast. But I've got I've got this theory that it's like every time there's a samurai song on the radio in the game, it always crashes. So I'll be like, I love the the music of the game for for a start, and I especially love uh, what Refused have done with Samurai. Like they sound amazing. Like I listen to their music outside of the game just because I like it that much. And I remember the first time it came on. I was driving. I was driving a motorbike just around Night City, and I was like, "Wow! Like this is kind of the magic of cyberpunk. I, I'm feeling it. I, I see why people really like it." And then it just crashed straight away. I was like, "I love this song." Oh, okay. And That's the real every- cyberpunk future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Samurai against like corporate nonsense. So you know, it kind of makes sense that they'd be like, "Yeah, we're not playing on cyberpunk. Screw this. Shutting you down." Yeah, you, can, um, you got you got DMCA'd in real uh, in real time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like it though. I. The problem is, I'm 12 crashes in, but I'm I'm still playing it. Like every time it's crashed, I've gone, oh, for God's sake, this game sucks. I hate it, and then instantly restarted it and gone, okay, where was I? Um, there, there's so much to like, which is a shame because there's so much else to dislike. For everything that I do like, there's another thing that makes me go, yeah, this could have been changed. Um, so I I really like the story. I, I think I think a lot of what happens in it is really interesting, and I think some of the characters are really good. But then I also think that it suffers a little bit from the Fallout 4 problem of like limited response. So it always feels like, at least from what I've done so far, it always feels like V is just saying like, oh, why is that? Or like, screw you, but why? Like, it, it's always like a question rather than a response. Um, and that that's kind of limiting. Uh, I like the, the customization and all the options that are available to you, like in terms of gameplay and story. But I also think that they've had a big misfire with the whole uh, background things where you literally just get depending on your background you get a, a different half an hour intro and then the game's straight back to normal and then you get some dialogue choices occasionally and it's like that was something 
I, I think I was talking to Brian. I think I must have been talking to you about it before the game came out. I was like, yeah, who are you going to go for? Like, I've I've really sat down and thought about it. Like, I really think I'm going to go Street Kid because, like, I want to give my character that, like, that sort of flair to him. You know, like, he's he's lived on the streets. He's rough. And then it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's um, one of the first. So Alex and I both had this game pre-release. I was just focusing on guides, which... Thank God, because I don't know like how I would compartmentalize opinions into like a coherent article on this thing. But uh, one of the first things I said to him after doing my corpo thirty-minute entry was like, you, "You, so you do your little thirty-minute or so entry, depending on whether you're a corpo, a street kid, or a nomad. Then there's like this montage, like Welcome to Night City, and then it kind of puts everyone in the same boat immediately. And it almost feels like they did that out of necessity because they're like, "Oh crap, we we can't." Like we we don't have like the the resources or the time or the inclination or inspiration whatever to actually like thread it more meaningfully throughout the game your your background, so they limit it to an an intro mission. They use this montage to put everyone in the same box, and then it's re- relegated to dialogue choices, which works okay in some instances, but it's it's limited to just flavor. Like if if you're dealing with someone out in the badlands and you're a nomad you might get some extra dialogue but that's kind of the extent of it which isn't inherently bad it's just inherently maybe shallow limited it's just there's not a whole lot to it i think a lot of it comes down to expectations uh and i've talked on podcasts past like saying oh my friend said this you can go anywhere and do anything and be anyone and i've said where's the evidence of that but then here i am sort of falling for it as well I, i had the expectation that it would matter more what you chose um, I think that there's a lot of that just all around. It's um, interesting because like each individual notch isn't like a death knell, but when you combine it all, like originally there were supposed to be classes, like you're supposed to choose between solo Netrunner or I think techie. And eventually they're just like, oh, there's no classes. They're just skill trees. And then you were supposed to be able to pick your life paths. And now they've limited that to just the dialogue that we mentioned. And then you're also supposed to pick, I forget what they called it, but like an idol. And one of them was Johnny Silverhand. And there's supposed to be two others. And yeah, then they're like, oh, yeah. it's just Johnny now. Like, you can see all these little ways that they've narrowed the scope, narrowed the scope, narrowed the scope. And it's just like, ugh, like, you can kind of understand in each individual case why they might do that. But when you take it all together, you're like, hmm, what, what could have been? Or, man, their eyes were bigger than their, than their capabilities. Like, almost like yeah. they're, they outstretched their ambition quickly. To me, it, I, I find it most comforting to play it as if it's, uh, akin to something like Fallout or Outer Worlds or like even like an Elder Scrolls game. I stopped trying to think of it as it was almost marketed as in, in some ways like the next GTA, um, which I hate saying because I'm like, I hate that comparison. I've, I've heard it before and I'm like, I, I, it's not like that. It's, you know, it's not an open world game story kind of services that the, in the world services the story more often than like, you're going around like oh i can go do this in the open world it's more like here are the missions here's this environment that you're basing it in um i i tend to think that i'll anytime it like bugs out it's a little bit weird i'm like i loved the outer world for like similar reasons um and it didn't bother me there so why should it bother me here but then also in the outer worlds i crashed like once and this is a game that i i paid 200 pounds for because i bought the collect's edition like an idiot and it's crashed 12 times and at a certain point you have to ask like could i be doing better things with my time like could i just wait till this is fixed and um, then you boot it up again and then i boot it up again yeah so clearly 
I'd love to see a world where it released with less hype, so it wasn't like the next big thing, and it was just stable. Like I'm not saying that they they added back in proper life paths and they put the the train system back in. You could cling to walls with your mantis blades. You can do all this and that. Don't I? I don't need that. But if they had just released it in a stable format, like how many more people would be speaking a bit more positively about it? Because I think there's like a really good game in here. Like Alex's review, he gave it a nine, and I I like agree. If I could get it to work most of the time, it's it's captured me in a way that a game hasn't in a little while. Uh, to the point where I do, I do really just want to like do all the side mission stuff. I want to explore the world. I want to be a part of Night City, uh, and find the right weapons and find the right like outfit stuff like that. It's just at every turn, it seems like the game's like <laughs> throwing up on me. It's just they're like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not working right now. Come back later. And it's, um, it's weird because I want to comment two things: one small and one a little bit bigger. The small thing is is that there are some omissions that this game has that almost seem kind of baffling. Like, for instance, you can't hide your headgear. If you have, like, a stupid hat that has the best stats, you are always wearing that stupid hat. And you might argue, like, in first person, that doesn't matter, which there's not a really good counter-argument for that. But I'm just surprised that there is no, like, there's no real control about, there's no, like, wardrobe system where you can change, you know, what your gear looks like versus its stats. It's kind of like Xenoblade Chronicles 1.0, where you just wear the the gaudiest looking stuff because it has the best <laughs> abilities on it or whatever um so it's just like there's just small omissions like that like i can't like why didn't they there's not even an option just to toggle your hat on off and it's there's also like dumb fallouts from that like if you're wearing a hat at least for my character it makes it so that it hides your hair so that if you um then look into a mirror it hides your hat but your character is now bald just silly stuff like that like okay this is like a stupid oversight it doesn't really affect anything but how did they miss this? Yeah, and then when it comes to like a game the size it is as well, like you you can say like, oh, it's just a little thing, but like they should have like realized some of that is important to some people. Like the ability to hide your hat and choose like which outfit you actually want. Like I'm stuck with Johnny Silverhand's stupid vest that I don't wear as best. And then stats, also like, there's no anything. um sorry, there's there's no uh I was just thinking about this, there's no like hairstylists, which even The Witcher 3 had. You can't like mm. if you choose a hairstyle and you're stuck with it. That all feels like things that'll eventually come like in an update when they kind of somewhat stabilize this game in the yeah. future. I, I'm fine with that. I, I, I'm fine with the idea that by April, maybe I can jump back into Cyberpunk and it'll be smooth, and I can get rid of the haircut that I don't like, and I can wear the outfit I want to wear. But it's I like I, I don't know. All right, okay. so, you're, so you're hedging your bets that this game will be somewhat stable by April. I think so. Yes. I, I yeah. th- well, actually, you know what? <laughs> I'm not even going to say. <laughs> any more bets in here? Do we, do I want to put money here? on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the that's the thing. I'm I'm not near the end. I'm not finished yet. I think I, I must be in the last sort of like section of the game. Uh, I like it. I like I like it quite a bit. I just I just wish it I just wish it liked me as much as I like it, and it just let me finish the damn thing. <laughs> the 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 one other issue that I wanted to mention, the bigger issue, is that you and many others over the last month have brought up like the limitations of the open world and comparisons to GTA, and like there's YouTube videos basically montaging all of the bugs and the issues with the traffic and how characters despawn if you don't look at them. Like if you. If you're in a crowd of people and you shoot and then you turn around and then go back to the street, half of them will just have despawned. 
And there's certain people that are just like, this is the worst possible thing ever. Like this, I can't believe the game does this. There's no realism. And I don't really have a good counter argument, but I guess I just didn't really go into the game with that expectation. I sort of treated, I guess I treated the Night City and the overworld kind of like window dressing. And I didn't really go in expecting something with the level of interactivity like GTA. So I think that was kind of an expectations thing where I didn't really have that, I think, mainly because I've never played GTA and I've never really enjoyed that sort of game. So I never, I was never really even looking for that. But then once other people who do enjoy that and enjoyed games like Red Dead Redemption, which apparently go, I, I played the original, not Red Dead Redemption 2, which basically that's their bread and butter is this open world, peerless interactivity and realism. And then this game just absolutely falters there in every way because it's all just I, made up. It's all just stage props. And Oddly enough, about, I, I can understand that because, like, when I, part of the reason, like, why I'm like holding out for Cyberpunk, obviously for, like, uh, one for optimization reasons, and two because I want to get a better PC rig uh, for it because I really just want to crank up the size, especially like one of the things that I really want to crank up is crowd density, and I, I think some of the most, like, oddly enough, the the two games that stick out in my mind for like crowd density stuff that I really liked in games was the first two Assassin's Creed's because I really like uh, blending into the crowd and just like being yeah, part of that, that environment yeah, uh, just to uh, get to my target and whatnot and I really like soaking in the atmosphere because at the time um, those two uh, locales and both in I think Jerusalem and uh, Italy uh, like they were kind of novel at the time in terms of like open world exploration like you wouldn't really there wasn't many games that really tackled those time periods, and then having that, you know, the, those people uh, in there really helped sell that world to me. Mm. Well, in in Brian's point uh, to counter, well, not to counter it, to go alongside it with Red Dead Redemption Two, I remember being so excited for that, and the level of detail in that game is. I I would argue unmatched, even though Last of Us Part Two is like my game of forever. I think Red Dead Redemption Two is like it is incredible the amount of things people are still finding. Like, I remember seeing one example where someone saw that a wolf had like like died, and then another wolf came over and started mourning it, like started howling into the air. And I was like, oh my god, that's like that's harrowing, but really good detail, really incredible world building. And then I don't re- I don't require that for any game. Like I wasn't going into Cyberpunk thinking. Oh, I want people to like be calling out names when they die and stuff like that because again, that's a bit messed up. But the, the level of detail that's missing from Cyberpunk is just as notable, I think. Like, I think looking at it, it's like the stuff that I'm seeing that I go, "Huh, that's kind of awful." Like, that should be different. Not even to the degree of like this should be the next GTA, but just like, uh, why, why, why do police disappear as soon as I drive off for like two seconds? The police system doesn't work. Like stuff like that, I noticed just as much as I did the good stuff of Red Dead. So I think detail is important, even if you're just maintaining a middle ground. I think Cyberpunk's kind of missed that quite a bit. Another one of those little things, like the hair and hats and things, was the um, the races are so oddly implemented. They're they're done in a way. There's like a there's like a series of side quests where you're basically racing cars, which with the amount of focus they put on their their Porsche partnership and all that, I'm not surprised by. Um, but like. In the if you're doing these races and you absolutely like crash your car, 
like all the cars in front of you, you can see on the map that they like rubber band and they go like really slow waiting for you to catch up. It just feels like so artificial. Like it feels like the laziest kind of attempt at implementing like a racing mini game. And it, it just feels off. Like it feels like you're not possible to lose because they will always go slower yeah. than you. And like, if you get way far behind, they will like slow to a crawl to allow you to pat to catch up. It's just <laughs> weird. It just feels weird. Like I don't even know like mechanically what is going on that makes it feel weird. I just know it feels off. Yeah, there's a lot of that as well. And uh, it's weird. I've seen a lot of comparisons online since it's released. Like the the Cyberpunk Reddit has been actually kind of a lot of fun because it's just a bunch of people saying like, like, oh, I thought this game would change my life, and it's you know it's not very good. Um, it's always sad to kind of see, but someone made, I keep seeing the point of like, oh, well, The Witcher 3 released in a buggy state, like, just give Cyberpunk time, and I was like, yeah, The Witcher 3 did release in a buggy state, but like, it still had all the detail stuff, like, it was still astounding in many ways, and I, pl- I played I, on a PS4 that like, almost blew up, but, you know, it's, it's, I, 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 feel like, I feel like the big difference with Cyberpunk, I'm not sure if anyone else has seen, like, Beat'em-Up's, like, video review for Cyberpunk, he, like, went ham, and just, like, just one after the other kind of pointed out all the features that were originally promised and were never said that they were cut that just aren't in the game. Like, yeah, there's plenty of actual bugs and the game itself is fundamentally broken, but a lot of what people are considering to be bugs, it's pretty clear it's just part of the game. Like, I I don't know when I'm going to end up playing it. Because after seeing that video, it makes me think, well, when you look at what's actually in the game, there isn't anything specific to it that's special, it feels like. And I don't know. It's just... Yeah. I it's, get, probably I one get of them, it's probably one of the most uneven games I've ever played. I do think it has some really high highs. And for me, those highs are um, specifically the side quests involving the characters judy and panam especially for me yeah. panam where you do where you're doing first you're introduced to her and the um the aldicados which are basically a tribe of nomads that live outside the city and at that point where the game doesn't focus so much on its open world and it's a little bit more handcrafted and tailored and telling a direct story and there's it's probably like they got that's hmm it's probably like the best like sitting down and talking and questing. And it's like the most like an RPG that it feels to me in those moments. Mm-hmm. And then the moments with Judy as well inside the city, which I think some people for her, she's the favorite. I, I think I like Penny more just because I think her personality is a, li- a bit more like mine. But then like all so that, that was the high point of the game. But then all the, the low point of the game is just like you drive around the city and everyone's like shouting at you to buy these cars that you like, I, I don't need. 30 cars and now i'm getting oh, phone calls cool. every two minutes for cars and then like there's these you do these gigs that are kind of like cut and paste and cookie cutter which some of them do end up being kind of cool like if it's like a three-story building and it has multiple entry points and you know you can go stealth or you can like hack or you can you know go in the front door if you're, if you're bold but those are like few and far between it ends up like just not being compelling just doing these gigs where they're all like manufactured like this is a search and rescue gig in this section of the city with this enemy tribe it almost feels like uh a mad lib where it's like this is this type of quest with this type of enemies fill in the blank (laughs) and this type of building and you just kind of like pick and choose your categories and then plop it somewhere on the map and there it is 
So that was yeah. kind of like stuff like that, where it's like, if it's functional, it works, but it's just not interesting to me. Um, and then the other two characters that you meet, River and Carrie, first of all, they are kind of shunted off into their own little side quests. Like they're not met in the main story. They're kind of met late in the game. They kind of feel like divorced from the game. Like they're behind a fence. Then you have to like crawl over it to get to them. It almost feels like they're separate. Like they're just in their own little pockets. And then on top of that, I don't, I just think both those characters are kind of really like lame and bad. Carrie is just kind of an asshole and like unsympathetic and he's just like not a good person. <laughs> so this, since this is one of the four characters you can romance, depending on your, um, your gender and your orientation, it's just kind of like, okay, this person is an absolute garbage human. Why would I want that? And then the other character, um, River, to me, is just like really milk toast and bland. And he's like this cop with a heart of gold, which in a game that's cyberpunk is just kind of like a weird optics. I feel like, oh, look how good this person is and how much of a family man he is. And he's just a swell guy and he's a beefcake too. And I'm just kind of like, mm. <laughs> it just feels like really, really bland to me. So those two characters I thought way, way less of than um, Judy or Panam for, for multiple reasons, both the characterization and how they're implemented into the game, like how you can completely ignore them and nothing really changes. So yeah, the game is uneven for me, even with all the bugs considered. And even if it's the stablest, most bug-free game in 2022, unless they really like overhaul <laughs> certain other things, it's not going to be... Uh, it's not going to be a top 10 2021 game for that, me. That's that's a category right there for next year. The stablest and bug-free, <laughs> most bug-free game goes to. On the, on the bright side, though, Josh, if uh, at least uh, it stings less than, that uh, all the GPUs are now 200 bucks more expensive since it's like... <laughs> I don't want to think about it. It's just making me uh, like, well, hopefully, maybe I shall, I'll, I'll wait. I mean, it doesn't really matter because these GPUs don't even exist anyway, so... Yeah, it's like, it doesn't matter that they're theoretically even hundreds of dollars more expensive if you couldn't get them in the first place. Yeah, yeah it doesn't actually matter at the long run. So, yeah, that, so that's, yes. the, that's, my, that's my coping mechanism right now over that. So Cyberpunk, I do think, does some things well, but it does some more things, several more things, not very well. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, I think It's not, I think it's not high... irredeemably garbage, it's just... You're you're gonna have to swim through some sludge to get to the high points in that game. I, I think I, I think my biggest question is like, what will it take for Sony to bring that game back on the PSN store? Like, are we are they are we just waiting for the native PS5 version now, or are they just? I, I, I'm interested to see like what what's the threshold that uh, CD Projekt has to meet to actually get back to the good graces of Sony to get it back on their store. I kind of forgot that even happened. To be honest, like that—that that feels like a a world apart. I think they have to wait for a, a stable PS4 experience. And then... uh, yeah, I was like, I was thinking, I was like, it's been like a few weeks now. I, I believe uh, I thought it was going to be just like a like a one week thing. It's like okay, maybe you just have to yeah, um, get it back up and running. But no, it's just the, the they're taking a, a firm stance on this. So I'm kind of interested to see what will it take. I I I think I missed the. I think the last Tetracast we did before the game of the year I missed, and that was a the Cyberpunk Week thing. So I don't know if we've talked about it, and I won't harp on about it because I'm sure everyone else has got like loads of games they've played and they want to talk about. But the I don't think there's a stance to take with the whole CD Projekt Red thing on that. Uh, 
I feel really bad for the developers, but I also think like management that should never have happened. Like there are so many people. I I was I'm lucky I got to play it on a PS5. Like I'm lucky I have a PS5 in the first place, and I'm lucky I got to play Cyberpunk on that. Because can you imagine if I'd like got the collector's edition as excited as I was, and I popped it into my PS4 and it like it just isn't <laughs> isn't playable. Well, I say that, and I've had twelve crashes on the PS5, but like <laughs> yeah, it's it really playable. <laughs> Yeah, I, maybe I'm not in the best situation anyway, but like, it's disgusting. I, I look at it and I'm like, how did they think they were going to get away with it? it? It's just bizarre. And I, I don't say that like, I hate CD Projekt Red now, they suck. Like, I'm sure the developers never intended for any of that. Well, of course. But, but like, wow. Management. It, it's, it's the worst of... situation in a game I've seen since maybe Fallout 76. And that that was just like some people didn't like that game very much. It was a little bit glitchy. This is, I think, this is. Oh, Fallout seventy six has had like a long history, like even outside of the game itself. It's kind of the lead up and the and and you know, no, no pun intended, the fallout of that game, where like even like you know, people who like, attended, the, the, definitely people like who got like the special edition. I gave the holdable bag controversy around it. So it's like it was just it was more than like the actual games like problems in itself it was much more than that not not to say that they're like one-to-one comparable they're both it's apples and oranges at this point between their their situations but uh, mm-hmm. 70, 76 did get flack for just you know not just the game itself i i have seen one like train of conversation related to cyberpunk 2077 which i think is interesting as like a case study about how we think about games i've seen a lot of people who have been incredibly critical of, of, of cyberpunk and for good reason and most of the time they're well substantiated mm-hmm. uh arguments and then there's certain people who say like i wish we could rescue they'll word it like i wish we could rescue judy and in some cases Panam from this game and get them in a better game and to me that, that train of thought is just kind of like interesting because it's like games are messy complicated things made by hundreds of people with different capabilities with different mm-hmm. uh, you know d- different viewpoints different and then obviously they're in different positions so the level of impact they can have on the final product varies um and just like i think games aren't something that we can just kind of flip off the good things we'd like off of a, a bad husk. Or if we have a good game, we can just clip off the bad things we, we don't like off of off an otherwise good game. Like I just don't think they're like they're not jigsaw puzzles in that sense. They're more like a bucket of paint that everyone throws a different color into. And what you get is what you get. And you can kind of segment it and see like where different things came from or who who was the who was the artist or the de- designer or the developer behind them. But I'm not sure I agree with this idea of like this thing is good. Let's partition it from this thing that's bad, and then yeah. we can just like digest games like they're this jigsaw puzzle. Like I don't, I don't quite see that. If if a game is if 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 there's some aspect of this game that you think is genuinely good along alongside a slew of things that you think are genuinely terrible, then that's what this game is. It's not one good thing and eleven terrible things. It's one game with all those constituents. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but I I just yeah think I, yeah I agree. I just don't. Th- I don't see games as these things that you can just like partition apart, like bad and good things, completely like that. You can you can spotlight things for certain, but other than that, like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is a very messy game with, depending on your opinions, some some highlights. I think about it like this: most people who say they wanted this character to be in another game, uh, that, that's like a significant of that. Just like them 
bending the knees like, well, this part of the game was good at least, but they don't want to admit that to themselves. Yeah, I think there's there's some people who say something like that. They're probably being a little bit cheeky when they're saying like, I want to rescue this person or this thing out of this game. And maybe they're just being hyperbolic for a bit, but they I, are. <laughs> yeah, so it. so maybe so maybe I'm being too matter of fact in something that's meant to be a little bit more over dramatized. Mm-hmm. But like yeah, I get you. Uh, if a game is terrible and I would score it poorly, but there was one key thing that I thought was done really, really well, I would highlight that. Like that's kind of like how I want to think about games. Or if there's a game that I think does many things well but has one very shitty thing that I think just absolutely doesn't work, then I would mention it. I don't know. That's what Cyberpunk is. It's it's a messy game. True. Very true. All right. Uh, what else have we played over the break, Adam? You've been kind of quiet. I don't know if you've got anything that you're wanting to talk about. Uh, one game I can't talk about yet. The other game I've played a little bit is Romancing Saga 2. Hell so yeah. I, yeah, I played a handful of the Saga games, kind of weirdly, like the, 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 the oldest ones. Um, those just released on Switch, by the way. Uh, I actually played them on Game Boy uh, years ago. And I played, and I'm, of course, a really big fan of Saga Scarlet Grace, which we gave our game of the year back in 2019. But um, I haven't played actually like the Romancing Sagas, the Saga Frontiers, which are kind of like the, the probably the most popular Saga games uh, in terms of like a classic Saga, um, both on the PS1, uh, SNES, PS1 era type uh, of games. And uh, Square Enix has actually, in the last couple of years, has sort of revived the series, uh, both of the course Saga Scarlet Grace, but also remasters of... Romancing Saga 2, Romancing Saga 3, and of course there's a Saga Frontier remaster coming out next year, which is not only a remaster, but it's like it's actually like completing the game because the original game was supposedly not really finished. There's a couple of things that were just clearly not done. So I've been I I'm a really big fan of the series of what I have played. So it's sort of been this has just sort of been something a long time coming. And Romancing Saga 2, it's kind of it how do I put this? Romancing Saga games, Saga games in general, are very bizarre in how they work. They're not intuitive. They're somewhat obtuse. They kind of take a little bit of figuring out. And this is maybe a corny way to put it, but I'm actually an engineer by by degree and by trade. And so, like, I'm used to figuring things out. Like, it's it's not all laid out for you. Like, here's exactly how you how you how you solve this, and you sort of have to figure things out. And Saga games sort of work like that. You kind of just have to accept that. To understand how the game works, you kind of have to play it, try things, perhaps even fail sometimes, make some mistakes, and you know maybe have some unoptimal progression or decisions that you make in terms of how you're building your party or your classes or whatever. Um, but eventually, it does start to click, and you start to realize like how involved these systems are and how well they work. So, Romancing Saga Two, broadly speaking, is basically you are you start out as like the inheritor of a kingdom. Your father and your brother are killed. And I say you, but this isn't really like the main character. It's like the first character. His name is Gerald and or Gerard. And you inherit this kingdom and you get like uh, a slew of basically servants, not servants, but you know, your populace that you can work for you, knights and mages and things like that, that you form your party with. And then you go out to other kingdoms in the world, and it's not linear. You can kind of go to different places at different times, and there's many, many different overlapping like scenarios that take place. And as you complete these scenarios, you are adding more and more to your empire. But eventually, 
you die, your, your characters die of old age, you know, and you go to the next generation. And then you basically are a new character in the same kingdom in the, in the, in a, in a new generation and things, some things have changed. Some things have not. You are still going out to these different places in the world um, to, to, to see these different scenarios uh, taking place. And there is a little bit of variability in terms of how things happen, depending on what order you do things in. There's a lot of flexibility in how you're building your party. It's, if you've played Saga Scarlet Grace, it's actually, it's actually pretty similar to that in, in a way, obviously older. Uh, and it's just a really interesting game. It's, it's not like a front-to-back narrative like you would normally expect in any JRPG that's not Saga, maybe. But it's just like this really cool like, set of ideas and how this game works. And it's like formatted in a way that is interesting to me. I have played about four or five generations worth of the game. I don't actually know how many you play until you like get to the end, but it's it's cool. Um, yeah, I had to shelve I had to shelve it for a bit, but it's it's one of those games I sort of knew that I was going to enjoy it based on what I've enjoyed of the series in the past. So I wasn't really in a hurry to play it. Romancing Saga Two came out uh, re released in like 2017, I think, or 2018. That's right, a couple years ago. Yeah, and it, uh, it's on like it's pretty much on everything: Steam, Xbox, uh, PlayStation, maybe Switch. And it's it's yeah. it's it's the sort of game that's an acquired taste. Like you kind of have to go into it. If you're familiar with Saga, you probably know what to expect. If you're not familiar, you just kind of have to go into it knowing that this is probably not like anything you've played before. Yeah, I really so. the, I really enjoy that discoverability aspect of Saga games. That just you, it's it, it's definitely for people that like like the unexpected because you just never know what you're gonna get out of them and it's it requires like kind of just like you said tinkering with it kind of banging your head against some systems until like you you see an interaction in the game that's like that'll go aha wow that's that's how that works okay interesting and that that's like and that kind of like feeling happens again and again in saga the more time you do it yeah um just to just to make some examples rather than speaking in you know vaguely right. so like one of the scenarios i did you basically go to a part like a, a neighboring kingdom and it's the, a king with three children they have like a, an older son a daughter and a younger son and these the older the older son and the daughter are like have their own castles and the younger son he's sort of like the king's favorite and he's the one that he wants to be their leader and so when you visit this kingdom, he actually asks you, who you are an emperor, your main character is an emperor, and he asks you for advice, like, who should, who, should, who should succeed me when I pass away? And you can talk to his children and basically make a decision. And depending on the decision you make, this, the scenario that, that plays out from there is a little bit different uh, in terms of, like, who you fight, maybe who the boss is, and perhaps even where you go. I wouldn't say it has any, like, gigantic ramifications in the long run really um so it's not like that sort of game but it's just like depending on some decisions you make and where you go and what you say things can play out a little bit variable from one person to the next you know my my experience with the game might be different than someone else's and that's just in one scenario some scenarios do have interlocking um where one decision made in one place might affect something slightly elsewhere there's another scenario for example where i saved an amazon a warrior, a woman from a, a beast in the jungle, and it actually plays out very differently if your emperor happens to be a man or a woman. Because if you're a man, the Amazons don't like you. 
if you're a woman, they will accept you. <laughs> and then th- th- this plays into a, this plays into a larger uh, a larger kind of storyline where the men and the women in this village have basically splintered off from each other. And there's one of the game's main antagonists. There's actually seven of them whose name is Rock Bouquet. Uh, apparently, they're very popular in the saga fandom. Uh, but <laughs> who's sort of like this sort of like the succubus? Uh, what's the word? archetype yeah like seductress type sort of, sort of arch- archetype that's kind of like seducing the men and you can she can seduce you and you can kind of do her bidding for a while or if you manage to avoid that like literally avoid it with like charm uh resist stat uh, gear and when you fight her you can actually just beat her right right away and that also affects things a little bit and i just think that's sort of cool there's like variability in how things can play out and there's like no like right answer it's not like there's there's maybe some cases where it's like maybe this outcome is better than this outcome, but it's not like it's what I've encountered so far. There's nothing like this is obviously the right way and this is obviously the wrong way. So it's cool. It's almost like yeah. Western RPG quest design sensibility in some sense in terms of like, oh, this character isn't a essential character. You can kill them off early. And if you do that, you can't quest in the same way. You'll have to do it in a different route or whatever, where so the I, RPGs are usually far more tailored and kind of streamlined. It's one of those things I looked up. I, I try to play these games mostly blind, but since there are so many permutations, sometimes I just look up like what would have happened if I did this instead. You know, that's sort of I think a natural curiosity. But like I fought Rock Bouquet as a man right away. If you play as a woman at that time, you can actually get the Amazon uh, warrior to help you. I believe earlier, or you can like do Rock Bouquet's like bidding for her for a while, and you fight like a stone golem boss. So I totally avoided that boss. And if you beat that boss, you can kind of fight Rock Bouquet later, but she's like in a different form and you fight her in a different place. And I think like the drops that you might be able to get are different. And it's just, there's just a lot of variability there. I so think yeah, I'm, I will continue it sometime soon, hopefully. Yeah, you just reminded me that uh, several of my friends and I were talking over the break. And like, I, I think the as controversial <laughs> as it may seem, I think the, the saga game I wish will, would eventually get a re-release is probably Unlimited Saga, and that's like almost universally hated. But I, I think we've come to maybe the acceptance that like maybe it's not like maybe we hate it, but we've conceded that probably because we hate it because we're we're too stupid to figure it out. It is one of the most complicated RPGs I've ever played. And it's like I wonder if I if I were to revisit now would I have a different appreciation for it? Because it is it is too too nonlinear from what I remember. But I wonder if I can at least make a little bit more sense of it now. We're convinced that no one on the planet under actually understands a limited song. I know one person who does and <laughs> is a, and is a advocate for it and will literally like I wish like, like she will say, like I wish. I, I think you're, like, you're talking about. People. Yeah, I think she's Ayana. She's actually a friend of the site a little bit, yes. but uh, she is. Uh, it's like I wish I could like just kind of like have like a class of people where I could just show them like this is how you play this game. This is actually what it is. And not I, would, I would love to attend that class. I would definitely attend that class. <laughs> <laughs> she she describes it as sort of like a Japanese take on a pen and paper RPG, which uh, Akatoshi Kawazu. He literally got into this, you know, business by he, he was a big Dungeons and Dragons fan, you know, when he 
like joined Square and he was, you know, the lead on Final Fantasy two and the saga series from there. So this is what I was getting so, at, but just not stating very elegantly. <laughs> yes. Uh, someone who enjoyed Saga Scarlet Grace, I feel like I should get back to it because I only played like one route. It just said it took like 60 hours. I'm like, do I want to do another 60 hours? It probably wouldn't be as slow now that I understand the game, but I just haven't gotten back to it. Yeah. It does get faster on subsequent runs because there, there's actually a little bit, at least for what I played at Romancing Saga 2 and of Saga Scarlet Grace, there's actually like a little bit of a, a, a very, very little bit, I'm hitting myself here, of a roguelike structure to it where like, the first time through the game, um, it takes longer. You know, you're not really sure what you're doing. You don't have good skills or equipment. But then, like, th- these games oftentimes have, like, a new game plus mode where you keep your your equipment and some of your abilities. And you can play through it again, only, you know, taking different routes or different characters or whatever the second time through. But it's quicker because you're stronger. You have more skills and weapons and things like that. And, of course, you understand the game more. So they sort of... Um, they sort of gear themselves for, like, we understand that you, this is the sort of game you might want to play through more than once. And Romancing Saga 2 is similar, obviously, because there's different scenarios that take place, and you might miss one based on whatever you choose. So, All right, let's see. We've got a whole bunch of other games still listed here on games we've been playing. Uh, maybe I'll go next. So, And I won't talk about this at length, because I don't know if it's a game I can really talk about at length. But um, after the uh, Game of the Year deliberations, or RPG of the Year deliberations last last month, I went ahead and decided to start up 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, basically due to the high praise that James and Josh and several others have given it over the last, you know, since it released here uh, in English. So to kind of set the stage, this is not the sort of game that I typically have a high affinity for, at least outwardly, but I didn't want to just like box it out based on my preconceptions. So I figured, you know, I'll go outside of my comfort zone and try this out. Um, I'm not very far yet, so I've finished all the prologues. I've done, I think, one whole of the city uh, defense, like 10 battles. And now I'm working on getting people's uh, stories, the remembrance modes, up to 50%. So uh, I guess it's interesting. I don't know if I really like it yet. I I wish I had something more elegant to say about this. I like it, yeah. I, I definitely, I think... I think the worst part of that game, uh, honestly, is the way it starts with the prologue. I don't think the prologue of that game does it any favors. Um, I, I totally can see. Like, it, it, I'm really happy that like you're giving this game a chance, and I'm very interested to see where you get to it by the end. But I think I, I'm glad that you're starting to understand why it's difficult to speak about this game. Just the the way it's structured and how like anything you can say about this game, it might be a spoiler to someone else, essentially. The thing is, is that one thing that I don't know if I like this or don't like this, or if it's something you can even judge on that matter, is that the whole game so far seems like it's built around intrigue. Certain characters more know more than they let on. Some characters did know more, but now they don't because of certain situations, meaning they, they know less than they used to. You're not 100% sure what happens in what order or what time someone's originally from or who's withholding information from the player or what events happened for real and what, what events are dreams or, 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 or envisionings. And it's just the sort of thing where it's like, okay, and then it's, you, it slowly pieces together. The puzzle pieces slowly got putting in place. And it's just like, it, okay, that's, that's interesting enough. It works well, but I just don't know if I personally find that compelling just to kind of, all right, just keep going. And eventually it'll, it'll be made clear. Eventually it'll be made clear. Uh, it absolutely, 
into the into the deep end uh, intentionally. Like it, it'll it'll do a better job at unraveling that. But I understand that that feeling of confusion, confusion and loss at the at the early goings of that game. It really like like for example, like Juro's route, like is definitely off the like one of the more like the people gravitate towards that route naturally because that's the first character you play as in the prologue and that's the first character you um uh, you that's highlighted in the remembrance mode so people will gravitate towards juro's route uh route like usually as a first thing to do and that's one of the more like one of the more like kind of throws you off the deep end routes for it kind of it's hard to piece things together because of the way his route is structured how, how the way it's presented and I, I definitely understand the feeling that you have right now. So I'm interested to see like uh, where you come off at the other end. But uh, believe me, I definitely understand how you're feeling. I, I do really enjoy like the adventure game aspects. Like, oh, I learned this certain keyword or this certain thing. Like, who who would be interested in this? Who like what permutation can I invoke by bringing up this not this nugget of information to another character? Uh, you know, I do kind of like that. Almost like. This is a kind of maybe a weird comparison, but hopefully you see where I get at, like King's Quest, where you pick up an item and you're like, where, where do I use this? What, what do I do it with? That's sort of the game I like. But there's also just like this, there's this weird like fogginess in terms of, how do I word this? I'm, I'm playing Juro's route. You, you hit it on the head. I was the one I started, started with first. And then you do a certain path through his story and you learn a certain piece of information. And then I want to see another permutation of his route. So I restart it, but I retain the information that I learned, which to me, I'm not sure that makes sense yet, but I'm sure it will eventually. So I'm not like trying to like dwell on the fact that it doesn't make sense in the moment because I'm sure it eventually will where I'm like, okay, I'm back at the start of this part of the, of his story. But now I have information that I, I as a player have learned, but I don't understand how Juro has maintained the information that I've learned. I'm sure it'll and it's clear. Like you're also, how, did, how could this possibly make sense like you know, chronologically as well? Because this isn't making sense hearing it from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so I love, I it's a very simple example. Like uh, Juro's route is basically it always opens up uh, when you start it at the very beginning, like in a classroom. And depending on what you do in this classroom, you can end up at different parts of the of the school building, and which will lead to different like scenarios. So, for example, for example, just totally made up. Like, okay, uh, in this in this classroom, I want to like ditch my friend, and if I if I if I ditch him without him chasing me. I might end up like in the, the in, at this part of the school, like outside of the school and whatnot. Uh, but the uh, but in this like since I was able to ditch him correctly, like uh, and now I'm outside of the school, the uh, like something will happen, uh, and then and it's like okay, and then once that thing happens, you'll learn that like say a keyword like say uh, cable, and it's like okay, uh, all right. So you see that uh, play out, and then you're uh, put back to the character select screen, and now. You start up again. You're now, you're now in the same classroom and everything, but now in your in your in your mind in, in Juro's mind, you know the word cable, and it's like, okay, well, what like, can I do? It makes with sense it? that the that the player knows that, but how does yeah. like why does Juro have it in his head? Like if I've really gone back in time, so I feel like there's this dimensionality thing or aspect to it. And another thing that makes it confusing is that if you try, at least in I don't know if this plays out the same in every character, but if you retry, if you try to do the same route. And you've already seen like the key story piece at the end. Like, let's say I did what you you mentioned, and I learned about this important cable, which is made up, by the way. And then if I replay the route, but I've already learned that, 
then it just kind of dead ends. It's just like, oh, there's nothing here anymore. The end. And it's just interesting because it's like, you've already seen this. You can't see it again, at least in some cases. So, and then it also leaves me questions like, okay, I've, I've gotten Juro's story to the 50% mark. And there's basically been like three major branches, like three possible ways with other minor ways, but three major ways it could have ended. So which way, so which, so which event actually occurred? I'm guessing it's going to be some weird answer where it's like actually all of them or something like that. Just keep pressing X on people until eventually the game will dole out the information you're waiting for. And that's kind of where I'm at, where it's like, it's interesting. It's well put together. I don't know if I enjoy it, but it's not a, it's, it's not a quality thing. It's not like I think this game is poorly put together. It's more of a expectations thing on my end of what I'm used to the games I've normally sort of typically enjoy. So I'm, when I say like, I'm not sure I like this, it's not because I think it's, not well made or not a quality thing and obviously it's and i always i also feel weird just kind of judging it already when it hasn't been fully revealed yet. no that's fine you're, you're just expressing your thoughts on what you think at the moment there's nothing wrong with that yeah i guess i just my personal opinion right now in the moment having not finished the game yet is that i don't think i enjoy games that rely so heavily on intrigue mm-hmm but again, that's a personal thing. Like, obviously, certain this this game, this whole game is a mystery, and it like outwardly says, like, as you piece together the mystery, like here in this mode, the analysis mode, you'll learn about the keywords and the characters and their positions and what actually happened in what order and what was a dream, what was real, and I'm sure a lot of that has already genuinely been interesting, even to me. Like, trying to learn, like, okay, so this character is actually from this place, but is now presenting in this place for this reason, things like that, and and. The game is slowly piecing it together, and it's kind of cool when you recognize uh, something and you pick up like, oh, that must explain this. And then also, aside from that, it's really cool when you pick up just like a reference, like, aha, that's referencing Star Wars. I get that. I'm cultured <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so uh, that that's fun. I- I'm enjoying myself. It is different from the sort of game I typically play, but I figured, hey, I'm going to be adventurous. I'm not really playing anything else really in January. So let me let me do something that's a little bit out of left field for me. Let me just try something a bit different. Sure, I'm like really interested to see uh, your thoughts as you press on. Uh, that's that's really cool. Thanks. My let's see. Uh, just to end this off, I'm trying to think like what my favorite character is so far. Uh, I don't know. Probably Natsuno. I don't know. She has the she has like the personality most similar to me. Like if I was in the situation, what would I be doing? <laughs> so. Is that voice acting? Like genu- genuinely, all I've seen are like yeah. It's... I want- video like bits of Colin's video but it was him talking over it and then i've seen screenshots but it's like yeah, it's it's fully voice acted yeah like, there's voice acting both uh english and japanese audio i recommend japanese audio because there are some uh i will say that the english dub is good from what i've heard but um i do know that some people got the wrong idea about some characters because of the voice direction for some of the english dub cast which is a bit unfortunate I, I think yeah, for like you, you can't go wrong either way. I think both of them are done excellently. There, there might be uh, people might encounter that issue that James mentioned for sure. But I think overall, they're both very good, especially like in the the situation that the English dub was put in. Like, uh, of course, with uh, the outbreak of COVID last year and whatnot, and having to just having that monumental task of how do you bring like a really quality English dub to a game. <laughs> This year, without without a studio, uh, I think they really pulled it off admir- admirably. So it's I- funny, actually. Uh, you and you and James clearly did like a really good job talking about it on the game of the year cast because I actually did consider buying it 
at some it's, point it, during it, the it was or is it? half off so oh. <laughs> i will at one point one day but I've, I've got my own backlog the size of like a mountain so i don't want to add well, I slowly, usually, like, I remember early in the Tetracast last year, I, I slowly mentioned how I was interested in Neo 2, and then I eventually tried it out and it ended up being my game of the year. What do you know? And then I mentioned being interested in Aegis Rim, and I'm like, you know what? I better make good and actually actually play it. So I might I might phrase something that I'm interested in playing something, and eventually I get to it. I try to hold to my word when I say that, and it's not just empty air. Um, I do think the English dub is, as someone who listens primarily to English dubs, but does dip into Japanese, like I played Yakuza 7 in Japanese just because I'm so used to that series being wholly in Japanese anyways. Um, I think the dub was well done. Of course, I'm biased just because I typically play games in English, but like it's better dub than Neo 2. It's a better dub than Fantasy Star Online 2. I don't know. It's in the upper half of good dubs at the very least. And and one other aspect of the game I think is really good is it just sounds really good. Like even outside of the voice work, like the fact that they have what the all the voice what the voice work sounds like in cutscene, and then also like in the thought cloud, it has different effects applied to it. Or if it's over a comm system, what does it sound like there? And then the different UI like effects, just like scrolling through menus or opening up menus. It's just all like really clean sounding and crisp, and it fits kind of the story in the world. It just and I'm not even talking about like music. Just it's the game just sounds good. It sounds good. <laughs> and in most games, I don't think about that. But this game was good enough where I'm like, wow, this game just sounds good. Just does. <laughs> All right. And that kind of covers what I've been playing. Uh, the only other games I've really been playing uh, over the break was I've been dipping into my typical bugbearers of Fantasy Star Online 2 and Guild Wars 2. Just nothing really new on those. Just, just poking at them. Let's see. Uh, James, you've got a couple games here that you've played that i know you think differently of i'll let you decide whether you want to talk about one or the other first um you know what I i'm gonna talk about labyrinth of galleria because i'm still conflicted on what i want to do with um like what sort of an article for the site because i got the okay to do an import review for labyrinth of galleria and the problem is is that so well first off if you've read my like Games of the Year article, like my personal one, you'll know that I greatly enjoyed Labyrinth of Galleria. It's probably my favorite game that I played in 2020, um, specifically that came out in it, because I, yeah. But um, it's one of those problems where I want to talk about it, but it's one of those games where so much of what makes the experience memorable is stuff that you can't really or you don't really want to talk about in a review, especially when it's a game that, as far as we can tell, is still over a year from being localized. It's like stuff that's like twists in the story and even evolution of the gameplay and how it changes throughout the game. It's like... James, I, I, just, wanna... want, I just want to comment that like I, I totally feel you, especially when I had to go review Nier Automata and I could I could you couldn't reveal that you could play 9S, you couldn't uh play A2. What do you talk about this game that is that that isn't like you can you're only confined to the first playthrough of New Automata and you have to talk about that while lightly not hinting that that there's more to this game than this. I totally get like that sentiment of where you're coming. Like you want to express how great this game is, but it's so so difficult to do this without like giving that that surprise to people. Yeah, and like well, 
it would be one thing if the game was even announced for localization yeah. or if it was going to be out within like a month or so. But the fact that it's so far away, like, yeah, I could put like spoiler warning warnings on the review, but then who's that review for? Like, I don't want to necessarily spoil those, um, those twists and turns and all that for people that would be interested in playing this game a year from now or something like that. But if I'm going to write a review, like an actual review, or even really real, any sort of article that's talking about what I really loved about this game, it would be impossible to kind of gloss over those aspects that would be within spoiler territory. It's just so, so tough. Um, and I'm not even going to sit, sit around and talk about it, obviously, right here, because that would be kind of hypocritical. But uh, I guess all I'll say is, is that I finished it. I guess this is technically a spoiler, but Robin for Refrain had a true ending, so Gauria does too. It has a post-game, all that sort of stuff. So beating just the base game was 100 hours, finishing the post-game was 126, and it's a fantastic game. It does have some issues, but it's one of those games, like, I guess in the most broadest of terms. When I reviewed Labyrinth of Refrain, one of the things that stood out to me the most was about how much the game felt focused on what it wanted to be. Like, it, it had a very specific, like, idea of what it wanted to be as a game. It had these even if it had issues, you could tell, you could feel the heart in it. Mm -hmm. And Labyrinth of Galleria is that, but even more so. Like, both the good and the bad. There's definitely some very real issues with Galleria's gameplay. I guess one thing I can talk about is that many of the dungeons do look samey. You do eventually get dungeons that look different and, and whatnot, but I, you can tell at certain points where kind of the budget came through and like there was like a hard cap on what they could do but like taken as a whole it's just such a brave game in terms of gameplay and the story itself is just fantastic and i wasn't even like sure if i was just like man am i crazy or is the story actually that good because i do know there's some cases where you you'll play a game and it's like oh other people haven't seen the story yet it's like well it resonated with me but it's actually that good and then just recently like a famitsu like opinion article went up basically saying that yeah the story is like the best part of it it's like fantastic and it's... but they even they even said the article as well it's like i wish i could tell you more but i don't want to spoil it they even said yeah that as well <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those stories where it's like it's really really good and should I say this? I mean, if, if you if you th if you think it's a spoiler, then don't, then don't do it. Yeah, I would err on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll err on the side of caution. All I'll say is, is if you like, well, now obviously, if you like stories in your games, well, anyways, I hate stories, so I will not like. I'm just kidding. No, I'm 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 so curious about like what you're talking about. I do want to give it a shot whenever it gets localized in some future year. I, I I really do need to go play Labyrinth of Refrain. I have it. I I bought it some time ago. I just haven't made time for it. Uh, but uh, I will say, um, this isn't a spoiler. You do not need to play Labyrinth of Refrain okay. to play Labyrinth of Galleria. Okay. Um, that's good to know. But I still want to. Okay. Play okay. This isn't a spoiler. It takes place <laughs> in the same multiverse, but Refrain's story doesn't tie into Galleria. So. 
knowing that it's the same multiverse isn't going to change your opinion of the game, whatnot, but just to say, yeah, it is in the same multiverse, there's like nods here and there, but, and there are some things I feel like you do get some resonation, like it resonates if you've played Refrain, but you absolutely do not need to have played it, and those connections don't even really show up until the post-game. I have a a super important question. Yeah. Are these games canonically tied to Witch and the Hundred Knight? Uh, I haven't actually played Witch and the Hundred Knight. I'm not actually. But from what I've I've read, they are also part of the same multiverse. So. Oh boy, man. (laughs) This is, this seems insane. (laughs) Yeah, which is weird. Now I'm actually curious to go back and play those two games because it's like, well, I wonder if there's anything that I'll I missed in Refrain because I haven't played those two games, or maybe there's something I missed in Galleria. It doesn't feel like it, but it's like, obviously there is connection. Well, there's those small connections between Refrain and Galleria that don't impact the story, but if you catch them, it's like, oh, that's neat. I wonder if there's anything more. So that sort of thing. But um, yeah, fantastic game. Uh, it's just like, I'm still conflicted about how I want to like write about this. Like one thing is, is that maybe I could do a review, but just have it only be a video review. That way I can have like a spoiler warning in there. It's like skip to X mark. I, I don't know. I, it's just, it's like, I want to write about this, but the circumstances surrounding it makes it so hard to like figure out, okay, how do I want to tackle this? Uh, that's yeah. I'm, uh, I wish I had a good answer for you, but I, I don't. <laughs> Yeah, good good luck, that's all I can say. Yeah, um, but anyways, so the other game I've been playing the last couple, well, I guess the last week. So I've made this pretty clear in the past that uh, I, the only numbered Final Fantasy game that I've played is 14. It was the first one I've played. Um, so I finally made the decision to get around to playing the Final Fantasy series, and I made a claim on Twitter that I'm sure I'm going to regret, that I'm going to try and play every numbered Final Fantasy title before 16 comes out. And uh, so I started with one. So you yeah, including 11. So that, just to make it clear, because you wouldn't understand 16 unless you played every single one before. Of course. But uh, yeah, so I've been playing Final Fantasy 1. Originally, I picked up um, Final Fantasy Origins on PSN. Uh, but uh, our boss, uh, Alexander Donaldson, basically said, you should play the original NES version. So that's oh. what I've been playing. I Which, played the NES version, but why would he do that? His argument specifically was is that he doesn't care exactly which versions I play besides Final Fantasy 1, but if I'm going to play it in numerical order, he made the argument that I should play the original version of Final Fantasy 1 so I can have a proper understanding of where the series comes from. That is very fair and uh, very unfortunate for you. (laughs) Yeah, like, I I can't... I mean... If Mr. Final Fantasy tells you to play the original (laughs) Final Fantasy 1, you don't say no. It's true. It's a good thing Alex is because we're bullying bullying him so bad. (laughs) Well, I'm almost done. I'm in the final dungeon. Like my party's like level 28, so I'm gonna still do some grinding. But it's like I got the Masamune or how Masamune, however you pronounce it. I'm the one that knows Japanese here. I should. It's Masamune. What the hell am I talking (laughs) about? But um, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that a game that's so fundamentally broken spawned a franchise that's so iconic to video games and RPGs as a whole. It's amazing. So, like I've been I've been using a guide for this. 
specifically because I know, first off, people were, when, if you were a kid playing your NES and reading Nintendo Power back when this game came out, don't kid yourself, they were using guides too. If only because the game itself is so buggy, so many bugs just don't work. The elemental attributes for every weapon in the game don't work. Just so much of the game is fundamentally broken. So it's like, if, if the game is going to be like that, of course I'm going to use a guide. So I've been doing that, and it's, it's amazing, despite how broken it is, how well the game still manages to hold up. Like, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about the magic charge system going in. But as I've been, like, going through it, I actually really like the magic charge system, which, um, if you're not familiar with it, it's like a D&D style. Um, each of your spells are a different tier, like a level. And as your mages level up, they get different charges for each spell tier. Yeah, so, as, I, as I understand, this is basically the common... I'm not sure if it's exactly the same, but this is the style seen in D&D. It's also the style seen in Wizardry. And, of course, Wizardry was a uh, a uh, in, in inspiration for some of these earliest JRPGs. So it's yeah. probably borrowed from there. Hey, man, you, you hear George talk, uh, complain about cyberpunk uh, bugs. So let me talk about uh, Nintendo Final Fantasy 1. <laughs> Are we talking about Final Fantasy 1 or cyberpunk? <laughs> 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 but yeah, um, see, I like the spell charge system. It does force you to um, consider when you're going to use which spells because it's like, oh, you might have two very useful spells on the same spell level. And it's like, okay, which one am I going to prioritize using when? Which ones am I going to avoid using to save for later? That sort of thing. It's really neat. Um, the translation is so bad. The translation is so bad. It's, uh, God, I, I'm sure part of it was like machine translated at the time. It's just. There was no machine translation at the time. Well, then I, then I don't know how to explain it. It's like, gosh, <laughs> gosh. It's it was, just it, it was it was it was guesswork, all right. Was, uh, uh, I don't know if it's educated guesses or uneducated guesses, but uh, when did this release? Like nineteen eighty eight, eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven. <laughs> um, it's a uh, it's definitely a video game that came out or uh, that, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember something. So oftentimes, I'm, I think it's four. There's four different JRPGs that are oftentimes compared as like the earliest indie genre. Final Fantasy 1. Dragon, Dragon Quest. Quest 1. Fantasy, Fantasy Star. Star. Is there a fourth one? I'm trying to think. I don't know. East. Maybe, East, sort of. Different style. When did the, No, Langerser was a few years early, uh, later. Um, Fire Emblem? Um, nah. No, I don't think I, 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 For some reason, I'm thinking like there's like a like a quadrant. Like a four, like uh, a four Mato Monogatari? Maybe. This is like remember. Theodore Roosevelt on Mount Rushmore. Like, who cares about the fourth one? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, generally speaking, uh, I've only played the Sega Ages versions of Fantasy Star 1, but Fantasy Star 1 is, I think, actually, like, out of those three or four, like, probably the most impressive. It's still, like, old. Yeah, I've heard a lot of... I'm actually cool. curious to play, to play the original Fantasy Star now, because, I like, as I've been playing through this, so many people have been telling me, man, you should play the original Fantasy Star. That has aged incredibly well, and it's like, huh. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I, I imagine it's been eras since I've played that, but, yeah, like, if, you're, if you're talking about those those games side-by-side, side, it, it probably does hold up the best. Mm -hmm. Like, 
that that'd be an interesting thing to like just go on is like playing like early uh, RPGs that that have released in the same year, almost back to back, almost and seeing like, huh. But anyways, I've been enjoying it. Uh, God, there's so much to talk about. It's like the game is you, just. Do you like the system where like you have your characters attacking an enemy, and if your first character kills them, your second character will just attack in a. I actually think, yeah. as as annoying as it is, I do think it forces me to consider like combined with the fact that there's no like HP bars, you have to yeah. consider and like do mental math. Okay, of like okay. Okay. This person will attack first, probably, and probably deal enough damage, so this person probably should do something else. Yeah. And it does, like, just the absence of the auto-switching does add a certain degree of extra, like, complexity to the turn-based system, which I think is... Now, okay. If I wasn't specifically playing through the game's numbered order, I think I would actually have played the Origins version of Final Fantasy 1, because it retains the magic charge system and fixes up all the bugs. But, um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um... By the way, I just looked this up. The Japanese version came out in 1987. The English version actually didn't come out until 1990. Mm. According to Wikipedia, which is citing somebody. Machine translation, nineteen ninety. <laughs> yeah, I would be no, interested like, in uh, seeing. Like, I don't want to just put more work on James's plate, but if you ever do want to write up just like a thousand words about your your experience with Final Fantasy One, I'd read it. Oh, I'm I'm planning on pitching something to uh, Alex because it's like if I'm going to go through the numbered Final Fantasy series and I haven't played it before, I mean that's there's something there. There's something yeah, there. Something out of it. Yeah, I've played Final That's... Fantasy One, but it was like the GBA version, I think, a long time ago, and I don't remember a thing. I wonder if that's considered the best version. That's actually a pretty neat version of that game. The GBA PSP versions, which are basically the same, just a slightly different look. Okay, are I mean, those are obviously only like those are only like seventeen years old or whatever they are. Um, they're obviously much more modern. They have like MP systems and right broken and better translations, and I think even like an extra dungeon. Yeah. As a cup, couple of extra dungeons, actually, from what I understand, mm-hmm. well, the classic like it's a more add a dungeon to the end. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. So I played the GBA and PSP versions. Now those versions you cannot obviously GBA, but the PSP version you cannot get digitally anywhere. It's not on Steam, like most Final Fantasy games are. Final Fantasy One and Two are like the only ones not on Steam. Uh, I, believe... I thought I thought Final Fantasy One and Two are on Steam. No, if not, they're, they're definitely not. on mobile, which are based off the same. They version. are, I think. <laughs> Let me check. But um, the Origins version, which is on PlayStation Network, you can you can play it on a Vita or you can play it on a PS. I'm, I'm thinking about availability here. Like, if you wanted to yeah. play Final Fantasy One, like buy it officially and play it officially, not emulate it. What are your options? It's like the Origins version you can buy and play that on a PS3 or Vita. So it's like not necessarily modern, but it's still available. Um, it's not on Steam. It's not on any modern consoles. There's no like modern collection. This, oddly enough, there's other collections like Mana and Saga and Dra- Dragon Quest that have come out for Switch, not for Final Fantasy. Oddly enough, so how, how, how do y'all feel that Square Enix values Saga more than Final <laughs> Fantasy when it comes to re-releasing old? About old, time. Old, old, old. Yeah, that's right. Finally. Now, I think Final Fantasy 1 was on the Wii Virtual Console, like the English version, along with Final Fantasy, quote, 2, which was actually 4 and so on. 
Um, but it's it's not on. The, it's actually not on the Wii U Virtual Console. So that's not even modern either. But you can't get it there regardless. So yeah, it's not available in very many places like officially right now. I'm trying to remember, like what? Oh yeah, Final Fantasy One and Two are on mobile. It's the PSP mm-hmm. version. Basically. What were all those Final Fantasy games that were going to eventually go to Game Pass that people have been asking about? Because apparently they've been when slightly delayed. Well, they were never delayed because when they were announced, they said starting in 2020. So they never said that all of them were going to be out by the end of 2020. Oh, it looks like that's just starting at 7 anyways. Yeah, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10, 2. All right, so nothing I bet really you, I bet you that this time next month, we'll have an idea of when Final Fantasy XIV is coming to Xbox. Oh, yeah, no that problem. Final Fantasy Game Pass... Um... Announcement was November 2019. Obviously, the pandemic hit after that, so maybe Square Enix just had other priorities in terms of just their working conditions and you know their staff that would need to be needed to do this. But yeah, that didn't really happen, did it? Not yet. What I would like out of all the missing Final Fantasy games playable in a modern format, conveniently, I kind of want to replay through Final Fantasy IV's PSP version, the complete collection version. It just feels that like is available digitally on uh, yeah, the PlayStation Store. So it's like, that's definitely going to be the version I play yeah. of Final Fantasy IV. It's actually yeah. really useful, like having a Vita slash PSP, because like so many of the Final Fantasy games, so many of the best versions are just the PSP versions. It's funny. Yeah, so she's, she's you can pretty much play. A, I should get a PSP <laughs> and stop, stop whining that Final Fantasy Tactics isn't on Steam yet. <laughs> yeah. You can play 1 through 10 too. Yep. Plus tactics. Yep. I'm not tactics Though I'm probably not going to play 10, 10, 2 on Vita just because I actually got gifted those on Steam. I-, I own them on Vita, but I think I'll play them on Steam since I'm pretty sure you can speed up the combat that way. So that's like yeah, I think the PC version got some cheats that no other version did for like speed up and things like that. So I don't know where I'm going to play 7 through 9 because I believe that those are available on Game Pass, but obviously I'd want to play them. Well, I don't know. I don't know. If I play 7... If I play 7 on Vita, I'm probably going to buy it, and then I'm going to just download one of the ROM hacks that like fixes the translation or something. No, you gotta, you gotta, if you're going to do this genuine, you gotta, you gotta do... These people are sick. <laughs> oh, look. <laughs> You're, you're, we, already, we already made this precedent with the Nintendo Final Fantasy one. Oh, no. <laughs> now not, not you're committed. You have to play them as is. Ugh. Attack That's right. scales up. <laughs> you, have to play, you have to play the mobile version of Final Fantasy 4. Or five. <laughs> no, 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 At least since I own a SNES Classic, I can just say, okay, I own a copy of it. I'm downloading the GBA Restoration version of 6. Done. Uh, I do kind of want to replay through 9 with the uh, Maguri mod stuff. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's... Ooh, that's actually a yeah. good argument to play the PC versions because of the... No, you have to yeah. play the as no mods, original translation. Original hey, 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 hey. the program. only reason I did it for Final Fantasy One was because the argument is that's where it all began. All right, I, I, I'm going to convince Alex to tell you that. I'm like Alex, I you feel can't. Like a lot. I am. I refuse to play anything but the PSP or PS One version of Final Fantasy Two. I am not playing the like the fan translation of the original NES version. No, no, not only no, but I might like Saga, but no. 
<laughs> I don't know if I just have different sensibilities than most modders, but like some of the stuff that I see them do to like Final Fantasy VII just looks so off. Like they replace the chibi screen yeah, models like with the, like the <laughs> battle models or like I don't so like they that have like so they have like oh, real I wouldn't do that. Yeah, and they're like the walking on these pre-rendered backgrounds, and it just looks really off. So people are like, "Wow, it looks great now." And I'm just like, I'd rather just have the the normal the norm. You can maybe up-res them or whatever, but just I'd rather have the I don't TV is not the right word, but the yeah, if I'm going to play a modded version of uh, Final Fantasy VII, it'll be like the translation fix for one thing. But if I play it on like PC or something, I'll definitely use like the upscaling like like the machine learning stuff because i've seen pictures of that and it looks really really well done like surprisingly so for the backgrounds and whatnot yeah it does I by the way your journey into final fantasy coerced me to buy the final fantasy origins version because i hadn't played it so i'll play that at some point you know what then i guess i'll play the final fantasy origins version of two that way we can like bounce off each other next week and see what we think. From what I understand, a primary difference between Origins Final Fantasy 2 and GBA PSP Final Fantasy 2 is literally just like difficulty, like in terms of numbers that you are up against. It's just harder, the Origins version is, which I know some people like and some people don't. So that's what I understand. I think the last person that has a game to talk about here is Josh. I'm just going to go by a pair pretty quickly because I haven't really played like a, a, like a recent game i guess like ah, i guess uh, like i've kind of been uh dabbling like a little bit into mobile games again because there's this is actually gonna be i don't know maybe an interesting year for mobile games from the games i play but i've been uh dabbling a little into the uh, upcoming english release of uh princess connect redive that's from side games it's uh, it's a three-year-old game at this point uh in japan it's still a really cool chill kind of auto battler game that's like you don't have much you have much thought like uh into playing it like uh because it kind of the game kind of plays itself um it's you have this party of five um going up against like waves of enemies and they kind of pull off skills on their own the only agency you have uh in terms of like what you actually do in battle is activating their special attacks and that and that kind of has a strategic element into it as the game goes on um, because pulling off their special attacks obviously is very um, powerful, depending on what they do. Some of them are like buffs, some of them are heals, some of them are just straight attack damage modifiers, uh, and not. And uh, that becomes uh, when they actually um, get that available to them with uh, their super gauges uh, later on is key. Like when you're responding to uh, enemy attacks, so it's not like entirely thoughtless. But um, I'll have more to say to that uh, once the actual official release comes out. There's still no planned like date for the full release, but they have like this um, soft launch that they put out in Southeast Asia. But it's very easy to kind of get access to those uh, if you know what you're doing. Um, and all, the weird thing about this soft launch in Southeast Asian territories for Princess Connect Redive is that all these, all the progress that you make on it will carry over to the full version. So right now it's theorized that this is this is actually like kind of just gonna be a full shared global server for it, and it's kind of it's just a, it's a nice chill game to like kind of fall back on. It's a, it's been a a hectic two weeks for me uh, because uh, in my normal day job things have been happening there, so it's kind of hard to kind of settle down and like 
into like a, a real full game. So I've kind of just been dabbling here and there when I get the chance. Um, Very briefly and vaguely, this is basically like COVID complications, right? With your job. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it makes it a mess. Yeah. You, so you've been talking about it. You're telling me that <laughs> yeah. it didn't go away with a, with a calendar change? Hell yeah, weird. Yeah. <laughs> weird. <laughs> uh, I've also been uh, uh, dipping my toes a little into the, the new uh, mobile game based on the Soccer Wars um, series. Uh, it's called uh, Sakura Kak- uh, Kakume. Uh, Hanasaku Otome Dachi Yo, and um, it's a it's a weird one because, like you know, last year I kind of I covered all the uh, the new Soccer Wars game on PS4, and then before that came out, I kind of did a little retrospective about my history with the series. And I actually, you know, I adore the series a lot. Um, this one is a bit weird because this is set like on an alternate world, so it's a different. Uh, like series continuation, uh, branched out of like the normal one. It, uh, so none, none of like the characters that you've like grown up with over the years in the original Soccer Wars games are really in this game. It's kind of a like a new generation of Soccer Wars, and it's it's so divergent from it. So the the basic premise of this game in um is that it, in the in the far flung future, uh. I think it that takes place in Taisho 100, and ta- the Taisho era never got to 100. By the way, it's uh, but it, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's very weird, right? And uh, there's some something ha- there's like this uh, something happened to Japan, Japan at this era where you know demons kind of uh, flooded into the country and t- taken over, and the uh, the the government's response was to have like this proxy new. Um, like a division uh, where they would f- fight off the demons, but it's all government manipulated and whatnot. And so you, uh, the, like you as the this commander, this new unit um, is kind of uh, escapes from uh, a portion of Japan into Aogashima. And then in Aogashima, you learn that like, oh, the there's this new like spiritual power where you can fight back against like uh, the demons and the government controlled unit. Kind of manipulating the whole situation um, uh, with these. It's kind of weird. It's like there's this um, spiritual power where the girls don't like enter mechs; they transform into like parts of the mech onto them. Kind of like a magical girl transformation. Kind of like Sailor Moon and uh, Madoka Magica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but they, instead of like. Turning into like uh, like magical girl outfits, like parts of like the mechs from Soccer Wars games is bolted onto them. It looks really bizarre, kind of neat, kind of weird. It's very inconsistent throughout the entire cast, whether it works or not. But this is their way of like selling you like the gotcha mechanic of like, hey, we can't just have a gotcha of just like different robots, like full on robots. So you see like part of these girls and part of the robots like bolted onto them. That's their whole shtick, and they have you know the whole mobile game gotcha rarities of like uh, rare super rares and super special rares or whatever. Um, and the the battle system in this game is kind of neat. I actually, actually kind of dig it over the most recent one. The recent one on PS4, it was the leap into real-time action. Like it's kind of like a third-person action game. Now, I, I wasn't, it was, kinda, it was very shallow and yeah. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. 
Um, but this one is a more traditional turn-based game. It's not a strategy uh, game like the the old ones were, where uh, it takes place on this horizontal line with uh, your enemies on the left and your characters on the right facing each other. But it's but there's like uh, vertical command lines that split the the field. So if you can imagine, just like a, this horizontal field split by uh, five vertical columns, and as you everything you do uh, in the game can either move you up forward or back forward uh the three the, these three attack commands so like one is like a rush command so like you move up a a space and then you uh, to get closer to the enemy or you have one that keeps you in place or one that keeps or or one that moves you back and uh, the whole conceit with this is that different units in the game have different like effective uh, zones on where they can attack. So obviously, melee characters have to be up close to deal damage. Uh, there are casters or like ranged units. Some have like guns. Some have like magic attacks and whatnot. So they're more suited for the back line. So you, you, it's kind of you have to kind of mix and match like how you want to um, formulate your party with like uh, up close pe- uh, people that like tank hits uh, and ones that'll stay in the back and hopefully keep. Uh, dish out way more damage and whatnot because because some, some units have like uh, effective ranges where like if like you have a caster unit and like they're up in front so the their attacks may be uh, lessened because they're they're attacking units that are close to them and they want to ideally be in the back and whatnot so it, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird like strategy system where like you're kind of balancing whether you want to be up close or uh, more in the back. Uh, and if you attack in place, you have like the super gauges that will um, you can pull off uh, when when it's a one hundred and whatnot. But uh, um, filling up those gauges is more effective when you use attacks that'll keep you in place and whatnot. So you're kind of lo- looking for like the the right formation to kind of start building up those gauges. It's it's a lot. A lot of it is borrowed from Fate Grand Order in some respect. It does have the same. Um, Developer as Fate Grand Order, the light works. So Sega, uh, you know, uh, worked with them to create this game. So it's a it, it's a weird inversion of traditional Soccer Wars games because in Soccer Wars you always have this um, central location like the the Great Imperial Theater uh, where things happen in there. You mainly interact with characters and sometimes go off into battles, but most of it is set into one spot. Even even like in the the games with like. Paris, and where you always have stay in this theater. In this one, it's uh, a weird inversion because it's more of a road trip. Like your 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 hub in Sakura Kakume is like this van, so it's kind of a road trip RPG where you kind of go travel to different parts of Japan, different prefectures, and whatnot, meeting new characters along the way, but like kind of dealing with demon the demon threat. So you're always on the move in this game. Uh, exploring different locations, which is kind of a nice change of pace for the Soccer Wars series. I do like the kind of the the story and character interaction in this game uh, quite a bit. I think that's where it shines the most. Um, I think you know just the the general weaknesses of this game is you know general early game gotcha mobile game problems where there's a weird balance of like how you gain materials uh, to level up your characters. Right now, it's very difficult to do that because like the dailies in this game uh, are very unreliable for for 
dropping those materials to level up your characters and ascending them to higher levels and whatnot. Um, and and like the the first event that came to this game, which is still ongoing, uh, is not really it, the the story behind it is really cool because it's kind of like a goofy story where you're um, like a training arc for one of the younger characters in this game and whatnot, and it's, it's very goofy. But it it the the actual way you interact with it is like getting materials for this exchange shop and whatnot. It's very dull and monotonous on how you interact with it. Um, I think the the weird story recently about this game uh, was this weird uh, false report um, from this uh, website called Business Journal, and uh, oh, I saw this. This was false. Yeah, yeah, this was false. So uh, they reported that this game, uh, like you know, cost three billion yen to make, and it only made like se- like seventy somewhat million yen back at, at the moment. Um, and that that was really a lot of people bought that at face value because you know this the, this the name of the site was Business Journal, you know. So, yeah. um, at face value, it seems like yeah. It, it it recently came out that you know that their writer had sourced uh, a YouTube channel called Na Nakaido for their initial information, and then they uh, you know cost for reference it with the industry analysts and whatnot for revenue figure figures, and it's like the whole thing was like it, it was very unreliable, like. No one actually knows how this game is doing. I don't think it's doing all that well. Like, it feels like not a lot of interest has uh, has come out for this game and whatnot. I don't think it's like a great game or anything. But it's kind of it's kind of a weird like story of like how misinformation can be spread and bought so easily. Um, because like a, a lot of the 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 budget for this game still is should should have been pretty high. Like, because when it was announced. There's like this whole 24 minute anime episode OVA that came out at very high production values. Even when you go into the game, like there's like full 3D figures or uh, 3D models for the characters, and they all an- have unique animations. Even when you <laughs> roll the gotcha, like it has like a little mo- the most intricate gotcha animations for a game. Where like when you uh, when you start doing a roll, like it'll have this whole like weird goofy lo- like launch off rocket sequence. That that kind of targets like oh who who did you find like who who did you scout and then it'll like go to a specific like prefecture in Japan and like like who did you like meet and then like if you get get a new character they'll have like this their own like walking animation and whatnot and then like in uh, like it's very very like um, flashy almost uh, but elegantly elegantly flashy because like when you if you like scout a uh, a rare character for example just like the lowest character they'll still like have their own animation where like oh you've you've seen this character but uh, as you scale rarities like you've seen like this uh you scout this sr character the next rarity up like it'll have them walk down like uh, a line uh, with their backs turned to you kind of like a fashion show almost and then like they'll turn to beat you it's like oh you found this character while like an SSR character's animation will be very flashy, very like oh like this character was like uh like doing uh, doing training like at this like waterfall or something or this character is like a has like a musical keyboard so a lot of like the background flourishes is like a kind of like, playing the uh her her keyboard uh and whatnot and it's it's very like the the game itself is has very high production values. 
along with all the marketing material around it and whatnot. So, so basically, can, it feels expensive. Yeah, it feels expensive. It was easy, to, like it was easy to buy the story that, like, oh, it cost three billion yen to make, and you'd only made this much back. But uh, as of this point, you know, it has come out that that report was false. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah. what well, is this game actually doing? Well, that's crazy because like people like me that are on the outside looking that haven't really played this style of game, I guess I just don't have the knowledge of who they referenced and what is right. typical where I see that report and I kind of just took it at face value. It's like, oh man, like got to games a bomb before. I guess this was another one. Yeah. And I, I don't I, I don't know. It's it's still way too early to tell whether this is bombed or not. It's still very early days. Like you'll you'll know if, if a game is bombed. When you when you hear like oh it's shutting down so you know that that's kind of the the real deal of it but even even like games that are like make much less revenue and like kind of scrape on by like at least you know they last for a good bit unless they really 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 just bit the dust uh, early on but it's kind of it's kind of just a weird like case study or recent case study of like how misinformation about it can spread but you know I've been kind of dipping my toes into that. Um, because I do like soccer wars still, uh, because I'm dumb. But you know, I I don't I, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I wonder if they can turn it around. I don't think it's like a really engaging game at the moment. I don't think it's like a great game at the moment. I don't know if it's even a good game at the moment. <laughs> but th- there there's enough there at the moment where it's just like I'll give it a shot, kind of stick with this for a while. I don't know yet if uh, whether I'll end up on a if this will flip around. At the other side for me, um, and then the other uh, only other game I've been kind of replaying now is uh, there's this new uh, after man many years I, I I'm trying to think of the release year of this game. Basically, uh, in P uh, during the PS2, uh, there's a Super Robot Wars game called Original Generations that came out, and this is this is a, a brand of Super Robot Wars that doesn't take any of the licensed robots and shows. It's like it's a new continuity without any licensing baggage to it. So there's no Gundam, there's no uh, Mazinger, there's no Getter Robo, no Evangelion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just the, the, their own their own continuity with fu- a fully original cast and a fully original set of uh, robots that are you know kind of take design philosophies of uh, popular works, but obviously they're not one to one. You said these are on PlayStation Two. Yeah, these were on PlayStation Two, but these are yeah, these are actually remakes. Oh, the remakes. Yeah, they're remakes. So the original generations uh, contained the remakes of original generation one and original generation two that came out on Game Boy Advance. So that's kind of the weird lineage of this uh, game. Because if I if I were to tell you like Super Robot Wars original generations started with one and two on Game Boy Advance. Then they were remake, uh, remake. There were remakes on PS2 called Original Generations that bundled them up, and then the immediate sequel to this is Original Generations Gaiden on PS2, and then on PS3, the 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 literal title of the PS uh, PS3 one is the second Super Robot Wars Original Generation, but what? that's that's not it's not really the second one of those, you know. <laughs> So it's it's kind of a weird lineage and weird t- titling and naming. So there there was a fan massive fan translation uh, that came uh, came out for uh, original generations on PS2, and that th- this is a a neat series to like 
go into like just fresh like i I played this uh the the ones on gba and i played this in japanese on ps2 before but for newer fans like this is a cool series to like just get into like if you're just a fan of like strategy rpgs and giant robots because it's very um like it's it's a cool power fantasy and there's a lot of like fun characters to kind of fall in love with in this game there's like two two routes that you can start off with and there's just like uh it's uh over time original the original generation series have has had this problem where they keep on adding characters and adding characters and adding characters to the roster and there's like roster bloat that it eventually turns into it kind of gets too overwhelming but the starting fresh just like from ground zero with, with, with this game is nice because it keeps the scope fairly small uh so you have like uh this like core group of characters and squad that like you kind of build up and like uh like feel rapid with over time because you kind of just have this small squad obviously as the games go on you get more and more and more characters but i've been kind of dipping uh into that and like kind of revisiting like one of my favorite like srw games from way back when and it still for me holds up really well like i really still enjoy just having this like pretty good srpg um that had like experimental systems that were uh unfortunately like lost over time like there was like this whole like custom ammo system in it where you can like craft like special bullets or you're like you're like uh more standard like uh, assault rifles and whatnot that have like oh if you like craft a bullet that will debuff the shit out of this enemy uh if you use this um custom ammo with it and kind of all that kind of jazz but that's what i've been mainly dealing with it's not like anything crazy or anything new but it's i'm kind of just like chilling out at the moment seeing what i can find and um you know i'll have more to talk about with newer games you know as as stuff at nda start now uh this time of year i always kind of poke at some kind of favorites or older games like it's not that old but uh like i was playing with my brothers over the holidays like diablo 3 like for no real mm-hmm. reason just comfort yeah. food sort of stuff so i get it in, in principle anyways yeah, but those are fun too because like that's local co-op Diablo on the on console and whatnot. Like those are really good versions of that that game. Yeah, not to go on too much tangent, but like that and Overcooked are our family like local awesome. co-op stuff. Yeah, that's the so, good stuff, right? I think everyone's talked about everything they played, or at least in in the capacity that they wrote it down. Because I know we've all probably touched on a couple other things that maybe don't can't or don't want to talk about yet, but. Uh, I, that kind of is expected, I guess, for our first podcast of the year, because obviously there just hasn't been a lot of time for a ton of news to ramp up, uh, as obviously studios were on their own holiday breaks and everything like that. Though we do have a couple things just over the last couple of weeks that uh, not, not, there's no real like highlight of the week here, no major news stories, but just a few things that have just cropped up that will just kind of give their due and go through in no real order. So the first thing listed here was, and this was reported on our website on Christmas Eve, is that, or, yeah, Christmas Eve, is that Near Automata, Automata, whichever way it is, has reached 5 million copies in worldwide sales. So we talked yeah. about that briefly earlier in the podcast. It seems well-deserved. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this year's Near Remaster sells relative to the original game. Yeah, um, the, the, there was actually a really funny... Um... The thing about that uh, on 
because the 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 news of the Tom, automata getting to five million copies was in a live uh it was a, it was recorded already but it's in a, in a stream like around christmas for a lot of like discussing your uh and whatnot and part of the conversations uh, between uh saito the producer and uh, yokotaro the director was they, they got a lot of like overseas fans like feedback of like hey you know uh, i played this thought i really like that the dad version of near because obviously near replicate is the younger or the brother version and just thought the which is the one we got overseas was uh, had near as a dad and they're like i, I really like that dad near when can i see like the daddy near again and then they were talking about it's like well you know basically the long and short of the, look we'll, we'll consider it like if like if the near remastered like ju- like they, they kind of mu- amuse this it's like nothing said and stuff but they kind of jokingly amusingly said like if we can like, reach like even half as many sales as Automata did with uh, this uh, replicant remaster, you know, we could, we'd, we'd love to visit it again. So now it's like kind of setting the bar. It's like if it reaches two and a half million, will they actually make good on this amusing comments about revisiting Daddy Near and whatnot? So people want to see it happen. I, I wouldn't. Maybe. I wouldn't put it beyond of like if it's somehow like an unlock on a new game plus. Where now you now you've got Papa Near or something oh. like that. <laughs> Well, it's yeah. worth noting Plus, we that we keep calling it a remaster when even just going off the title itself, it's clear that there's a bit more to it going on. Even yeah, they don't know yet. Combat's different. They're adding more voice acting. There's yeah. probably going to be something new. I keep calling it a remaster, but I really mean like remaster. Yeah. Deal. Like it's kind of just like a shorthand version. I don't actually think re release there. Yeah. Umbrella term. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, kind of the, the term. Like pe- people. It used to just be like, is it a remaster or a remake? And now there's like so many different permutations and offshoots. Like, I, it's never, it's never nice and tidy. So yeah, re-release, just cover all of them. That's the, that's the word yeah. we used in our. our that's why I, I know people are already freaking angry. Like he just said remaster again. Oh, I mean, I thought we already had this conversation. It's like, well, that's my bad. Re-release. Just semantics at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but yep, yeah, five million copies for Automata. It'll be interesting to see how well the re-release does probably mm-hmm. won't sell as there's well. a few things i'm cu- there's a few things i'm curious about here one first of all for the english release how what they're going to do about english voices um the original game's english voice acting is honestly really good but if they're adding new voices and of course near has to have just a different voice some of those original cast members like laura bailey and also like liam o'brien to an extent like i don't know if they're Especially Laura Bailey, they're like celebrities now. It's well, like, are they going to be able to get about this her to reprise the role? Podcasts, but Laura seems like she's always been up for reprising old roles, yeah. like she did for Fruit Baskets. So, but but, not, but not, like not I can't imagine. To be honest, no no disrespect to Laura, but like I think the one voice that's almost like irreplaceable is Grimar Vice. Like you can't re- reproduce like what Liam O'Brien does for that voice. Like it's so unique and great. Like I just, I can't see them redoing it. Maybe they'll surprise me, but man, <laughs> yeah, I remember we we had this conversation, a similar conversation uh, when uh, Xenoblade Definitive Edition, uh, like, oh, yeah. came it's like, oh well, well, Melia's uh, English voice actress reprised her role. She's so such a big celebrity yeah. now uh, with the new content, and surprisingly, they did get her back. She just, yeah, sounds, but then her voice well, just she just sounds different. It's ten years different, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And you, yeah, there was so, a little bit of that, not not quite to the same extent, but there's a little bit of that in um, 
Tales of Vesperia DE, which obviously oh. the, kind of the bigger bugbear there was that they replaced a couple of voices because they couldn't get them back. But then the voices that they even could get back. Uh, who's the voice of um, Rita? Rukia. I don't know his name. Oh, yeah, because like they got her back, but you can kind of tell when you know they got ten year older Michelle Ruff squeezing in lines between her younger self, and just sounds a little bit different. So I mean, that's kind of that's just sort of that's that's unavoidable. Right, (laughs) that's just the nature of the game. Reprise his character from a decade ago and don't sound any different. (laughs) The 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 other thing that I'm interested in is that this game is being developed by Toy Logic, which hasn't done a ton of stuff. But yeah. um, I'm wondering, because we've sort of touched on before that, like, Platinum has a lot of stuff under their, you know, that's supposedly in development, like Bayonetta um, or whatever. And I don't know if they're going to be available for, like, a potential near three. And maybe this is sort of like, like, will Toy Logic make near three, maybe? Get the Kavya team back together. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm not saying the Logic website. What else have they made? Let's see. They they worked on Kid Icarus for for 3DS. They did Happy Dungeons on Xbox One. They worked on. Do you remember? Do you remember Psycho Break from Bethesda? Oh, oh that's, uh, that's the game. That's no. evil. Is that the Evil Within's Japanese name? Oh, is it? Yeah, I think so. This is just this is just on their website, so I don't know if they're like full developers or partial developers. They were on Super Smash Brothers Brawl. They they do not have a whole lot on their website, so like they're not really like a well-known, established company. But who knows? They don't always need to be. All I really need from them is like it doesn't have to be like automata gameplay. I just want this to have like a good, consistent frame. Yeah. That's true. Which is is what the Kavya team's biggest downfall always was. Was like usually performance. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, cool! A, ca- a new Kavya teams, uh, Kavya games coming out. It's like, oh man, um, c- cool. Let break my machine if I run it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm 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 super looking forward to it. I guess it also in uh, over the break, just um, as an aside, like Lance McDonald uh, at Man Fight Dragon on Twitter uh, that found the cheat code. The final secret in your automata was finally found. Uh, he found a cheat code where he can skip to the last ending immediately, like the last mainline ending immediately after killing the first boss uh, and unlocking the bonus code. So, like, he found a cheat code that you can input. I don't know how you actually do it, but he sh- showed it in like in a tweet. So this is like, and and Yokotaro did confirm that this is the last secret finally found in uh, your automata where you just you just basically skipped the entire game if you don't want to play it, and. You can still, and remember, you can still get all the trophies for this game without playing a lick of it. Uh, then, because you can buy all the trophies in the game with like a like a menu that's unlocked at the at the last end after you complete the final ending of the game. So, I I was one of those people that beat the game and then just bought all the trophies I was missing. So I was like, you know what, there I had my fill. So why not? You're, you're giving me the option. I'm gonna take it. So now you can just uh, literally uh, just boot up the game, beat the first boss, and get a, and get a platinum if you so desire. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so funny. A few other announcements from over the break. Uh, this is something that maybe Adam can talk to more. But we got a gameplay trailer for the dual pack uh, re-release again. We're going to use that word a lot, I feel like, from this point forward. Uh, for Stranger of Sword City dual pack with um, Saviors of Sapphire Wings. So this is the basically this trailer was just um, 
I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but Stranger of Sword City originally came out in the West on Vita and Xbox One. Weird combination, but that's what it came out on. And PC later. And then it got like a re-release that added some classes, some dungeons, and a few other like tweaks, balance stuff. That only came out on Vita, and that was called Revisited. So it's, it's, it's like the same game with a few additions. Fun fact, that was the, as far as I can tell, the only um, release from the very short-lived uh, Experience Inc. Uh, West, or whatever the title was, because they had it. They self-published, yeah. Yeah. Um, but now that version is on Switch. I don't believe there's any difference between, like, content-wise, between that re-release revisited on Vita and the Switch version coming out. But this trailer is basically just, yeah, this trailer is basically just highlighting here are the some of the new things that are in the revisited version. So it's just a few classes and a couple dungeons bonus stuff. Um, I Stranger of Sword City, I think, is pretty good. There's one key mechanic with how it deals with characters who fall in battle that I think is really poorly thought through. Um, Life points. Yeah, like, long story short, it's better to, if, you're, if you have a character who dies, it's better just to restart before, before they died rather than deal with it. Um, but I do think otherwise the game is a pretty solid dungeon crawler and probably the best one from experience. If you like dungeon crawlers, it's worth checking out. the best. I think the yeah. level design's the best. The art is good. The not the the, the Western style. It's like Japanese flavored Western style art, um, rather than like the. They also added like an anime style art that's not nearly as good. But I think that's yeah. actually removed and uh, Re- revisited. And revisited, like you yeah. can't actually do the anime style. Good, no anime. Good, <laughs> no anime allowed. <laughs> right. Um. What What can you tell me about uh, Saviors of Sapphire Wings? It's a remake of Students of the Round. It's uh, Students of the Round was one of their earlier titles, and Stranger Sword City was actually based in the same universe, and it's kind of like a follow-up to it. And uh, Saviors of Sapphire Wings is a remake slash remaster of it, kind of in the style of the Operation Abyss and Babel games, which were remakes of other earlier um, experience-think dungeon RPGs. The yeah. operation games were definitely anime. Oh, yeah. Too bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I've heard middling things about Saviors of Sapphire Wings and, uh, like, Japanese impressions. A lot of that was come, came down to they advertised it as a remake, and it's more like a remaster, and many of the, like, monster icons and whatnot are basically just ripped wholesale from Stranger Sword City, which, yeah. Um, I haven't played it yet. I'm kind of interested to play it, but uh, I feel like I'm probably going to play... Well, I'm definitely going to play through Yomi Osaku, uh, Sakuhana first, which is their most recent title, which came out in Japan. Um, maybe we'll have some, I'll have some impressions of that next week. I don't know, but yeah. I have to say, this is probably like one of the most impenetrable segments of our discussion, like these... Indie-ish dungeon crawlers from Japan with these titles that are like all remixes or remakes of earlier things. It's like no, besides like James and I, but like did we ever get that? About. Did we ever get that like um, Labyrinth Crossblood or whatever it was called? That was like the final like, like I know um, Operation Abyss and Operation Babel were like remakes of previous games, but then there was one that was actually like a follow up. I don't know. I know Operation Abyss was actually a remake of two games, 
the combined, and then Operation Babel is a, a, a remake of a third game. But I think there's also like a fourth game that, that just didn't get localized. And I think something, yeah, 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 it's messy. So we don't even we don't know what we're talking about. It feels like this whole po- like uh, podcast is like full of impenetrable. <laughs> like that, <laughs> if you played like, a dungeon RPG on Vita. It's either Dungeon Travelers 2, which is Aqua Plus, or it's one of experiencing many, many dungeon crawlers. Basically. I think, I think Demon Gaze is also technically in the same universe. Demon Gaze is probably the most popular of them. I actually Demon don't think Gaze, Demon Gaze is that good. <laughs> Demon Gaze was popular because it was a decent dungeon crawler that came out early on in the Vita's life. Where yeah, it, it was one of the, it had a bonus for being like an exclusive on Vita. Like, so people were like, I have a Vita. What do I play on that? Like, you can play this. Some people love it, but I don't, I don't. It's like, it's like how, um, what was that game? It's like, uh, like Omega Quintet Quartet or whatever. was like notable because like the first, it was the first JRPG release on PS4 or something. Yeah. Like, it, was, it was only metal. Oh yeah. Omega, it, was, it was like the idols, like the idol. Yeah. RPG. Yeah. Something like that. Just like, actually, uh, it took a long time for Japanese RPGs to get on PS4. I remember there's that. There was, um, I think, Disgaea Four, Disgaea Five was one of the oh, first ones. Oh yeah, because that was actually a PS4 exclusive, like a true for a while. Yeah, Just a while, like uh, yeah. Neptunia on PS5. Yeah. Uh, did that come out? I think it, in Japan. It? Yes. I don't, I don't actually know. Yeah, I have like never like I didn't hear a peep about it ever since it came out in Japan. Oh. But then again, like PS5 don't actually exist. Natural Doctrine was a really early. Uh, oh, that RPG. too. Yeah, yeah, for PS3, I think. PS3, Vita, and PS4. I remember when. Um, I remember when that uh, was coming out in the West, uh, and I actually sent out codes that were like cross um, cross buy for all three platforms. Okay, I were- had I had to look this up for Neptunia. That re-release is actually. <clears throat> An enhanced re-release of a re-release of a remake of Hyperdimension Neptunia. <laughs> you can play. We can buy it again. It's got more stuff. Yeah. I think like the key thing, like being genuine here, is you can like play as any of the characters from like from the get-go. I guess it's just like just play as anyone from the series or from the game or something. It's coming out next year or this year. Or this year. It's January already. Whew. Well, um, looping back around to the. To the news topic we were talking about, the the dual pack Stranger Sword City Sapphire Wings is coming out in March for Switch. Yep. So don't mean to get off topic, but thank you, James and Adam, for carrying the conversation there. Like genuinely. Speaking of anime. Uh, <laughs> speaking of anime and James having to carry the conversation, uh, we got a release date for the PC version of Utuero Mono Prelude to the Fallen. It is coming out on Steam on January 22nd. So and this is the remake of the very first Utaware Rumono, right? Yeah. So I reviewed the PS4 version last year. I think it was around May, something like that. It's decent. I'd say that if you're going to get into the series, definitely start here, just because, well, Mask of Truth... Well, Mask of Deception to a certain extent, but especially Mask of Truth does rely on knowledge from this one. So, like, back when those first came out, people said, oh, watch the anime adaptation for the first game, because it's a decent adaptation, and it is. But um, the game itself is, it's all right. I'm definitely a bigger fan of the combat in uh, Mask of Deception, Mask of Truth, uh, especially since it has that kind of like Paper Mario-esque, like depending on when you uh, press 
like inputs during com combat it like changes up how things work and it's it i, I just really like um mass inception mask truth this, um, like, this is the weird thing about like the robot Romono uh re like uh pc ports now like they're under a different publisher or label right not it's not um was it this it was so atlas did mask inception mask of truth whereas oh. nis america did prelude to the fallen uh and utuaru mono zon so a new company at least as of the, like when the uh, Mask Inception, Mask of Truth ports came out, was Chirabian, uh, now called Chiravoon. Apparently, that was how it was always pronounced, which is weird. Um, and DMM Games released the PC versions for Mask Inception, Mask of Truth about a year ago. And I reviewed the ports. I said that they were disappointing because they were locked at 720p 30fps. Um, the inputs, like the, uh, um, you had like, button prompts for basically every controller that you could think of. The keyboard and mouse controls were good. Like, it was strictly the performance and the output, well, the um, the rendering resolution and frame rate that I had issues with. Uh, so I hope this one, this port's a bit better. They did say that there's going to be some additional patches for Mask of Deception, Mask of Truth, along with this release, but they said there are going to be minor fixes and improvements, so I don't necessarily think it's going to improve the rendering resolution any of that what i'm more interested in with this port even if the the actual like technical aspects of the port are going to be a problem which i fully anticipate i hope i'm wrong but i don't really foresee it to be any better than the previous ports um and as america did the translation for prelude to the fallen um it was for all intents and purposes a fine translation obviously it wasn't as polished as uh, mask inception mask of truth uh, there were a few lines in question that did have some like issues, but they were like one or two specific lines that really stood out. So they did say that um, Prelude to the Fallen on PC has had an ever-editing pass, and I fully expect that those two lines in question are going to have been changed. So I'm I'm curious to see what other like changes there will be like as I go through it again. Definitely uh, more to write about here, I'd say than. The PC versions of Mass Conception, Mass Truth, if only because, well, they've already committed to doing like changes to the translation, extra editing, and all that. And that will definitely have the potential of making this the best version without a doubt, even like discounting all the PC port issues. And then this will finally, like, you know, wrap up, like, this will be uh, all the Robari Romono games will finally be localized so people can experience like the full thing now. Well, they already were. If oh, you that, for PC. For, for PC. Yeah, yeah. Well, except for Zon, but that's just like a weird. Oh yeah, that's like the conglomeration of. Uh, I I could see that getting ported to PC eventually too, because the engine's already on PC, because it's like the Senran Kagura engine. It's also like that Neptunia like uh, brawler engine, so it's on PC. Yeah, I forgot that existed. Wow. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that eventually gets ported because that would be an easy thing for Shiravoon to do, I'd assume, and whatnot. So it's like, I'm sure that'll happen, but when that, whenever that'll happen, who knows? I hope that Shiravoon does White Album too because I've heard good things about that. Oh, and that's another octopus game. I love White Album too. I would, man, that would be that would be the miracle localization for me at this point. I think. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and 
again. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I need to read Iwahime, but I've heard that it, it's actually really well done. And that's like a, that's a Ryukishi uh, 07. Oh, yeah. The yeah. yeah. And then Shirovun did that. So obviously they're not opposed to doing like full translations of visual novels and they've worked with Aqua Plus. I feel like there is a distinct possibility that they might do White Album 2, which would be very nice. Oh, Hopefully my it happens. I would die for that. You remember? You remember when Steam Greenlight was a thing? Yeah, I, I still, I still care. Uh, I, I, when whoever to to whoever that person was who like made up those troll like Steam Greenlight entries for like White Album two and like White Album, like fuck you, dude, fuck you. Ah, oh, I was so disappointed when those fake listings went up. I mean, if we're talking about Aquaplus, and I guess tying it into the previous discussion, this might be the only chance we have of like Dungeon Travelers 2.2 even being localized, which is another dungeon RPG, which now I need to play, but I want to play Dungeon Travelers 2. God, just Aquaplus, despite some of the issues that people might have with the fact that many of their older games and whatnot are filled with fan service, they have some great games in their back catalog, and not all of them have been localized, which is a shame. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. You know you know what I'd like? I'd like an Aquapaza with uh, rollback that code. I hear um, you guys like talking about dungeon crawlers. What do you call them? Mm-hmm. In- impenetrable? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, gotta, love, so, gotta love blobbers. Speaking of dungeon crawlers. Thank you, mm. So hmm. Acquire has announced Dungeon Crawler Labyrinth of Zangetsu. So this is a press release from Acquire that was translated uh, from by Gamatsu with a little bit of work also done on our side by Kite Steinbook. Uh, it is a black and white. How do I how do I word this? Ink how would you describe ink. this? It's like an ink. Yeah, it's like an inky old cartoon black and white Japanese style dungeon crawler. So it's like it's like. It's almost like a painting from it's like a picture of a painting from several years ago. So this was uh, announced in Famitsu magazine last week or the week before. So there is no trailer. We've just got the uh, the magazine uh, artwork and a few. I don't know if it's screenshot or represent or is just some other like representation of the game that's meant to mimic a screenshot. Yeah, there, was a, there was another page to that uh, that because I bought the I usually buy Famitsu issues and like there was like uh, like close up like artwork of the enemy as well at the second page of this Famitsu uh debut of the of the game yeah so yeah blobber is a good word for it that's that's a classic word for this sort of thing but uh it looks it's obviously when i look at this and not knowing much about dungeon crawlers at all it's just obviously it's banking on having this visually distinct style to it so kind of like this old painterly inky it looks interesting but need to know more about the mechanics and whatnot first, because it's like, yeah. It's also being developed by Kairu Panda, which I think is, um, has, has done like a few mobile games, but that's about it. So it's not, once again, like not a proven developer, and we don't know, you know, they don't have like much of a pedigree to go on. Here, I'll read a little bit of the press release, just so we can give our readers a little bit more than this lame overview. So the story is set in Edo, the city of the morning moon, which continues to fight against the calamity that is the ink of destruction. Edo belongs to Tokinokuni, a country that resembles medieval Japan and is a fortress city protected by a powerful magical technology barrier located directly beneath the moon that always shines in the sky. So there, that is that is the premise. 
or at least like a location in the world building. So obviously up on the website, uh, Adam and Kite put up the the press release, borrowing a little bit of the translation from Gamatsu and obviously all the information from Famitsu primarily. So yeah, um, one thing that's slightly out- interesting about this announcement is that if you go to Acquire's page for it, it doesn't list platforms. Like it just it's 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 supposed to come out this summer in Japan, but it doesn't list platforms. It actually says undecided. But the Famitsu article does say Switch, PS4, which isn't too surprising, but also interestingly PC, which you don't oftentimes see these, I, these Japanese games get PC releases. So I was like, is that an error? Or is that true? We'll I think see. I think that uh, PC actually makes a lot of sense for bloggers, for dungeon crawler yeah. for dungeon crawlers in Japan because it, it's such a niche genre, but it's a genre that very clearly has a dedicated following on PC. It's probably the place where it's most popular. Well, maybe Switch is maybe a little bit more popular for um, the genre these days in Japan, but um, uh, it, may, it definitely makes sense that PC would be a consideration uh, and whatnot. Yeah, Acquire's uh, been doing pretty good at like bringing their games to the West anyway. Like they had um, the... It certainly makes more sense than uh, Experience originally releasing uh, Yomi Osaka Hona as an Xbox One exclusive mm-hmm. in Japan. And it makes it definitely makes more sense than uh, NIS uh, Japan releasing Labyrinth of Gauria on Vita instead of Switch in late 2020. So. This, this is just a random tidbit of trivia, but like Stranger of Sword City originally released originally in 2016 as an Xbox 360 exclusive, just in Japan. Just weird. <laughs> but yep, that's Labyrinth of Vangetsu, new dungeon crawler coming out, just announced for a Japanese release in summer. So we'll see kind of what sort of impressions it has from that side of the pond. Yep, just something for Adam and James to look forward to. <laughs> All right, we got a couple other little tidbits here just kind of to round out the week. Um, Outriders, Square Enix cooperative game of some sort. Josh, help me out here. Delayed to April 1st with a demo coming uh, February 25th. Yeah, George and I are looking forward to this. Outriders is the new game from uh, the People Can Fly uh, studio who previously made Bulletstorm. Um, This is like the the third person kind of... Uh, a mix of Diablo, a mix of Mass Effect, a mix of what, what else? What else? Uh, Jay, uh, James, uh, George. Uh, the Destiny. Basically, it's like any sort of live service game, but it actually like the designs on certain things. This is what stuck with me the most. There was this gun that they showed off on Twitter that was called like I think it's called like the Migraine or something like that. It just looked like really fleshy and weird. Yeah. Like, so I was like, yeah, metal. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcore. <laughs> I, yeah. I think people can fly Bulletstorm. This was so long ago now. I remember it was a game that I rented from Blockbuster. So, like, that is how long ago we're talking. Bulletstorm. Wait, George was, was alive when you could rent games from Blockbuster? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, that was fantastic. So, I don't know what they've done since. Uh, didn't they do Gears of War Judgment? Uh, yeah, yeah they, did, they did that. And that was the last thing I knew that they did. So, I'm looking forward to seeing, like, a new original thing from them. I think that'd be uh, that's why I'm looking forward to anyway. Yeah. So they they announced uh, that uh, there's uh, it was supposed to be uh, released like late last year. Then they pushed it back to February, and then now they announced that uh, they won't make them February date. Uh, they pushed the full game back to April first, um, and at least they're but they'll still be able to play it next month with a demo coming out at February twenty fifth, and then. Um, the, the cool thing about this demo uh, is 
that uh, you can play as all four classes in it. It'll have both single player and co-op uh, in the demo. And well, I, I'm not exactly sure to what extent, but there will be some form of um, uh, data transfer over from the demo to the full release, including like your character and your progress. I don't know exactly what the contents of the demo are, how far you can play into it, but it's cool that at least you know we'll be able to d- get a dash of uh, what we can expect from this game. Uh, and you know, I think they did uh, some sort of like uh, early access closed beta on the Xbox uh, late last year, so only a few weeks ago. Um, you know, pe- people who were in it can't say much, though. You know, some of my one of my buds did get get to play it, and is like, "Oh man, this is kind of kind of good." He kind of liked it. I haven't been been able to play it yet. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I might get the PlayStation Five version of this, and I think they're. Pre- planning to support like full crossplay over all the platforms that this is uh coming out on so that's you know all the next gen co- both next gen consoles uh PlayStation 4 Xbox one PC and PC um and th- they're eventually planning a stadia release at a later date as well basically Josh and I are gonna play for it uh, yeah, yeah I think this is, I think this is interesting this delay for, there's a couple of interesting things here like first of all square Enix doesn't like they don't often like publish western ga- style games from other developers because like they own people can fly that's a private company um so you don't like you don't, you don't see them do this publishing deal much very often in the west I, unless i'm missing something right but also true but also like the fact that it was delayed to april 1st like that actually like shifts what fiscal year it comes in so like mm-hmm. on the business side that's that is weird in terms of like their forecast in terms of sales, how that will be affected. Uh, this is a bit random. But I just want to point it out because I didn't know this. Uh, People Can Fly is a private video game developer based in Warsaw, Poland. Yep. Now you know. Yep. I did not. I did not know this. All right. I guess we'll end it there. But yeah, Outriders. Uh, it's not something we've actually covered on the site, but obviously, if um, George and Josh play through it and have some interesting takeaways, and maybe you'll hear about it here because obviously we don't just play. RPGs and RPG-like games and games that are not RPGs that we decided to cover anyway. Visual novels are games that we cover. Josh, tell me about Tsukahime Remake. That was oh. a good segue. Before, before that, that, that was... That was out, that <laughs> was out of my ass. <laughs> uh, the transition of the year goes to... Anyway, let me set up the table a bit. Uh, a remake for... I assume popular visual novel Tsukahime has been announced for summer 2021 for Japan for PlayStation 4 and Switch. Tell me about Tsukahime. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the right word to use would be famous or infamous because um, I'd, I'd say I'd say, uh, I'd, I'd say famous. Uh, infamous would like would be implying that like it was so good that it was bad, but no, Tsukahime uh, is legitimately like one of my favorite visual novels of all time. Like it has. It has a lot of flaws, uh, for sure. It's not like, like, the the best of the best. But uh, well, one thing's for sure: the remake will fix some of those flaws by getting rid of the really, really bad arrowgate scenes. Oh yeah. <laughs> so let's let, let's uh, let's back it up a bit. Let's talk about like a little bit of history of this game. This is uh, pretty much like one of the very first Type Moon games that have ever come out. It's like one of the very first projects that was ever publicly released. This predates Fate. Yes, this predates fate. This is uh, ba- this was released back in two thousand uh, at the turn of the millennium uh, for the PC. 
uh, and you know it was very very early days. The the premise of it um, uh, was this: uh, the protagonist named Ryogi Shiki uh, kind of comes back uh, to you know uh, his sister's uh, mansion and whatnot. And you know a lot of a lot of things have changed. There's a lot of like. Uh, I guess of- you're missing one of the most interesting plot hooks from very mm-hmm. early on. Basically, the main character almost dies and then get gains the ability to literally see death. Yeah, not as in like death, the personification of death, but like the lines that hold together everything, like everything's existence and the points that dot them. And basically. I'd say almost, but I guess he kind of does like go insane over that, and like it, it's it's interesting. It go, going from there, it's like a first off, it's a dope as hell like superpower. It's like edgy as hell, but also like in a cool way. And then Tsukihime, yeah. I feel like it has a lot of pacing issues, but it's still a really like it, it's a classic of the genre for for good reason. Yeah, uh, as James mentioned, he gets <laughs> it's literally translated to like yeah. Uh localized to mystic eyes of death perception that's the power that he gains uh but he ha- he he wears a special set of glasses that like you know kind of uh nullifies yeah yeah his glasses uh kind of suppress that power but once he takes I, it off i, I need can, this can... uh i need this uh explained in like naruto eye terms is this like a shower gun or a renegade? Almost, <laughs> but it, it, he doesn't activate it. It's only it's permanently like on for him, and like the only way uh, he can suppress it. It's kind of like Cyclops. You know, how Cyclops has oh. always has teams going, but he wears like a visor to like control it. It's but kind of like... perspective. His power basically makes it like as it's very it's first described is is that if he even like traced those lines with just his finger. Like whatever he traced would just fall apart or die. Like yeah, it doesn't so even need to be like a deep cut. It's just like just tracing it's enough. <laughs> Brian's like, what? I can only imagine Brian's expression right now. I just like, mm, okay. <laughs> I like the Cyclops comparison. My smooth brain can, can follow that. <laughs> yes, I, I, like, I like the little noise you made. You went like, oh, when you heard that. <laughs> so anyway, like uh, the the remake of this. Uh, was announced. I say I shit you not. The remake of this a was a decade ago, uh, back in two thousand eight, more than a decade ago, <laughs> and people have been waiting forever for the remake of this game because, like, it's any day now. Ever since they like announced it, like, it's been very, 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 um, just drips of information throughout the whole entire twelve years of like. I feel like well, not even. I feel like people had given up. People would assume that it was just never going to come out. <laughs> yeah, this was vaporware at the, until this point. So, literally, at the end of last year, at the final stretch of last year, within the first, right, within the last ten minutes of last year in Japan, uh, they they had this. You know, they usually have this whole end of the year fate project stream, where like kind of lay out. Okay, here's what to expect from the from Type Moon and like what other fate related projects to look forward to. They showed off like you know a little bit of the. New new gameplay bits of Fate Extra Record, the remake of Fate Extra. You know, it's like okay, like you got to see that. Uh, there's no like uh, release date or whatnot or platforms for it. It's like kind of still in development. Um, the the delayed uh, game of uh, the Emia fa- family home cooking and whatnot for Switch. They showed new gameplay of that, but that was delayed because of COVID and whatnot. So no new release date of that. But it is also getting localized. They announced a localization for that. It's like okay and whatnot, and then they're like, 
Well, it's just a, it's just another fate project stream. No, nothing for Sukihime, but not like people have fucking given us like they, they they already expected going in there'd be nothing about Sukihime, and then they're like, and then they're like, we have one final surprise, you know. And they ended like the the live stream portion, and then it was a trailer for Sukihime remake. I got so fucking excited, dude! I was like, oh my god, no way! They they actually like acknowledged it. So like the 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 trailer starts off with like kind of this whole like visual novel segment it's very it was very reminiscent of like Tsukimi, but i was like but i'm one of those fans that was like i already given up i was like there's no way dude no way and then there's this iconic scene in that uh one of the iconic imagery uh in Tsukihime was like a, 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 a reflection of the moon and then dyed red in blood you know it's like and that's very uh, iconic of that game it's like oh my god they're actually acknowledging it they're actually acknowledging it no no way and then there's this whole brand new trailer showing off more like you know new like uh past scenes from the original game but all remade and then like uh, then the whole animated opening done by ufo table uh for the game which is really gorgeous uh with a song sung sung by riona and it was like it was just like one of those moments where like i have it's been a very a very long time since I've felt genuinely very excited for a game. Uh, and I was just like, oh my god, this is this is so amazing. Like I don't know. I <laughs> I was generally speechless. I was like, oh my god, it's happening. And so it's supposedly coming this summer to PS4 and Switch. Only Japan for now. Who knows if there's gonna be a localization? We don't know. Probably not, because like the rumors I've heard with the reason why Fate Stay Night has never been officially localized is because like the licensing has been prohibitively expensive, and I can't imagine Tsukihime would be any different. I, I really wonder about this. Obviously, there's gonna be like a uh, like already fan like uh, fan like uh, um um just be a fan translation of it for sure. Like there's gonna be like people are gonna try to get this ported to PC. They're gonna try to make their own fan-made ports to PC and have, to have it fan translated and whatnot. But yeah, I, the the thing that makes me interested because Aniplex themselves has uh, launched a label last year, I believe, called Aniplex EXE, and they they uh, um, localize uh, like a front wing visual novel and another one. I can't remember who it came from. And it was like day and date with the Japanese like launch of them as well. So. In theory, Anaplex does have their own visual novel branch, and you know they work very closely um, with Type Moon these days. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, I don't know if, uh, like you said, probably not. I'm not going to get my hopes up for like an official localization. But you know, people have been waiting for this forever. I, you know, I'll probably import it and read through it and whatnot. I'm, I'm genuinely excited to see how the what Sugihime looks uh, looks like more than 20 years later like what does it what does a modern interpretation look like um and yeah it's a uh, it's uh, the the official name of this is Tsukihime uh, a piece of blue glass moon for this remake yeah i mean that so when, sometimes when, when this was announced uh, i just know that uh, our rpg site discord channel started popping off so lots of other people yeah. are this game has touched a lot of people and a lot of people have been I'll, looking forward to this for several years I was genuinely surprised when this uh, this uh, news came out that it was actually trending in the United States, like Twitter. Like it was like one of the main trends uh, on Twitter for that day. It's like I I just wouldn't have expected that there's like massive, not not massive, but like at least a sizable uh, right. following. 
So, And the last piece of news on today's list is actually kind of a late addition, which is actually kind of interesting because we had, we had seen announced or mentioned over the last couple of days or last over the, over the break that we were going to get um, an, a mobile phone port for E6, the Ark of Nepishtim, which is, you know, interesting enough, but okay, it's a mobile port. But then uh, Adam, right before this podcast, started pulling up some uh, footage for this from the YouTube channel Gaming Mobile, which shows that this E6 Arkham to mobile project is actually like some sort of MMORPG remake of some sort. So this is all new as of like in the last couple hours. But E6 Arkham Nepishtim is going to get some is it has a mobile project in development that is some sort of online remake of some sort. Is that all? And it's like it's, fully 3D, cell shaded, seemingly. It's, a different it's game. so, yeah, it's so baffling because if you actually read the uh, PR from uh, Falcom for this, it it definitely the wordage makes it sound like it is a port, but it's very much not. So I, yeah, it, it, it's and it weird. seems like it's multiplayer. Like the two girls that Adol meets on this island village are like playable characters. It's 3D. The art is different. The art's actually not bad. It's just like yeah. not. It's new. It's different. It's like, huh? This, like this isn't the game I remember. And the, uh, we're having conflicting reports as well over this because, like, the, the when Dengeki Online uh, came out with this announcement uh, that was trans and it was translated later by Gamatsu. It's saying that's like the the people behind this is like a, a company or studio called like Manhattan People. But then on the Falcom site. For the PR for this is like what was it, Adam? It was like re restar, restar. And if you go to Restar's games website, it doesn't mention this. If you go to the Machine People website, that website doesn't even work. <laughs> no, actually, um, the Falcon PR does say restar, so it's weird. Yeah, yeah but, that's, what, that's what we're saying. But yeah. the Dan Gecki report didn't say restar; it said Machine People. But if you go to their website, it, it, well, their website people doesn't even work. People. Or yeah. Ma- Manhattan people, sorry. I misremembered yeah. it. It could be Manhattan, because 403 is like forbidden. So it could be that it's like a region locked website, because those do exist. So I'm not I, sure if one of us has a VPN. I don't care that much. I, I don't care that much enough to, to, to VPN into it, maybe. <laughs> but it's like, it's so, it's this whole thing is just like, the, the, okay, uh, uh, I'm going to be real with you, folks. Like, literally, like, like 10 minutes before this podcast, like started we were just having these revelations over like this whole thing because i thought like i just we were just when we were just like filling up the news doc of like what is it like oh we're just gonna port this over and then <laughs> and then adam on the staff discord was like uh what is this i'm like wait what are you talking about i'm like specifically i said arkham the pishnam looks different like, yeah and then i and then i saw like six seconds of it i'm like this did they upload like the wrong trailer for the game and then like, i looked i looked through it's like no that's eight all and I'm like Oh, they, mm, what is this? <laughs> so now we're just like we have no exact idea. Did what. that did that East Eight port mobile game ever release yet? No, it's still in development. They showed it up. Yeah, that's, that's weird. Like that, but that looks like East Eight for the most part, right? Like, it's, I think it adds like one character, maybe. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah. No, that adds like several. Oh, it does. I didn't look look into it too much. I forgot already, but. I it, it, looks, it looked very different. People were like, "What they do to add all my boy <laughs> or whatever?" <laughs> yeah, but like, it's what still, they did to my boy. Yeah, it's it's really funny. It looks really funny. I, I kind of want to try it. So yeah, there is a mobile port of E6 in development, or I should say, not a mobile port, a mobile remake. MMO imagining on mobile. But what is actually getting like a, a traditional I, iOS Android port, like you mentioned earlier, was a. Uh, uh, 
the Alliance Alive HD remastered, and I'll have like you know, obviously it'll um, make changes to the UI so it's more touch uh, friendly. The Alliance Alive is basically from my from Adam having played through like both versions of it, so it's fine. Like is that kind of it, takeaway? Alliance Alive is a very okay game. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's fine. I will not mention any interest of playing it. Like I don't want to hold myself to that. This is the most this is the most impenetrable podcast ever. I feel if you made it this far, I've Yeah, we had we had no like no no bioware talk, very little Square Enix talk. This is talk about, so we had some Monster Hunter at the front, I guess. But yeah, it's just that sort of month, just letting everything start to kind of ramp up into this new year. Even though obviously COVID's still ongoing, you know, you still have to keep washing your hands. So stay safe. Even uh, if there was no COVID, you'd still have to wash your hands. Come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for that clarification. You should wash your hands regardless. Please wash your hands. Uh, anyways, all right. Let's let's start wrapping this up. So uh, we'll we'll be back. Like the the intention is to hold this seemingly weekly, as we have been. We are done with our break, and we will continue to talk about RPGs and anything else that we've been playing for you every Saturday. So. If you listen to us, you know, thank you so much. Uh, feel free to comment on our articles and our, you know, our posts on our website, which you can obviously visit at rpgsite.net. At the top of the website, you can find links to our Discord, where we will talk about games like Monster Hunter and Tsukihime. And also, yeah, also the, the, to mention about the Discord, we've, as of like yesterday, we are now an officially verified community Discord server. Right, yeah, or Discord GG invite slash RPG site net, I believe. But it's not fully through. Like, that's, this is new news as of like yesterday or the day before. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll update all the links. The link the link at the top of the page will take you to our Discord. Um, you can always follow us on Twitter at, at RPG site, Facebook at RPG site net. Uh, we're also now on Instagram. It's right as of the moment, it's kind of a copy of our Twitter feed. Uh, but we are kind of brainstorming ideas of what we can do at RPG site net on Instagram. So. Go ahead and look forward to that. And anything else that I missed? Um, not, not to say that you missed, but like you know, just to look forward to what we're gonna do on the site this year. You know, there's definitely gonna be changes uh, that you may or may not notice. Uh, definitely a lot of things to talk about behind the scenes. You know, uh, a few weeks ago, um, our boss uh, kind of we rarely ever do this, but thank you so much if you did uh, respond to this uh, survey that we ran. Uh, a few weeks back, we do have the results, and you know we're we're gonna start talking amongst each other, and uh, you know try try to uh, bring more of the things that you like, and and not try to change any of the things that you already. Uh, like yeah, we're not well. we're not gonna try to overthink it, or you're not, it's not gonna be some drastic sweeping thing. But some of the feedback we expected, and some of it was less expected. So we're we're trying to take it to heart and seeing where we can kind of just shift and push for. So you know, stay tuned. Uh, other than that, you will hear again from us next week, and we might have a video on our YouTube channel in the next week soon. So until then, take care, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time. Happy New Year, Later, folks. <laughs>